still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and it's gonna be one of those episodes today! Welcome to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive through right here! On a damp day for some, and for some it's like Oklahoma all year round. I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and here he is, the star of the show. He'll be answering questions and causing trouble. Mr. Jim Cornette. Brian, Brian, how are you? Are you feeling good today? Are you raring and ready to go? Just sitting on D.I. dead ready like the Dream Machine would say. You feeling good, you moving good, you're in fighting fit, best shape ever, healthy, contented. Y'all set. Ready to rock. Yes to some of that. And to the other part of that, I feel like shit. But I'm ready to rock. I'm going to push through. I guess I should say here, I got COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See? Over the last few days. two of us, you were the first one. Well, I interact with more human beings. So it is only right that would happen to me before you. Only right, only fair. But you got you you not only got the you got a double whammy. Which did you find out you had first? The raging food poisoning or the COVID? And it may not be food poisoning. What happened was I tested positive for COVID Sunday morning after feeling like shit for several days. And I said, Oh fuck. I really have this now. So I'm just gonna go hang out in my wing of the house where the Arcadian Vanguard offices and library are located. I'll be fine. Just, you know, bring me a drink every now and then. And then I was foolishly talked into ordering Indian food, which I love, but that may not have been the time or the place. And once they delivered their food, which is traditionally very good, I had a weird reaction to it, causing a day and a half of grief and misery, a combination of a number of things. Gloom, despair, and agony, oh me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. But I wouldn't worry. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, just don't strain yourself. You, If you mothership me too hard, you'll shart yourself, pal. Well, I usually don't do that on the drive-thru. Well, you don't, do you? Well, God damn it! can you still be sick in a few days when we do the experience? Yeah. I'll get Lou on standby. I'll be very sick if you want me to, but... No, 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 that's okay. Here, take some fucking antibiotics. Oh, stop it. Now, listen. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Now, listen. Hey, no, Yo, wait, listen. Listen, listen. Yo, listen. <laughs> Give me a beat. No, I've, I've got breaking news here right at the oh. top of the program. You don't know about this. I've just heard about this just moments ago. This is a follow-up from the experience. What, a few days ago? It was a little late because you you had to belch it forth in your own way. 
Misery. But we mentioned that here last week in the, in the metropolitan area of Louisville, Kentucky, there were cows on the loose. A, a cattle transport vehicle apparently hit a, a pole of some description off the side of the interstate, and 11 cows escaped and were found in the morning wandering around the golf course at Cherokee Park. And this caused some consternation on behalf of the locals, and the groundskeepers were upset. And they sent some people out there that have experience in this kind of thing, and they wrangled or rustled or rounded up or organized or herded. What? What is? I guess it. Head them up, move them out, move them out. Head them up, head them up, move them out. Raw hide. Whatever they do to them, they apparently they said they had this taken care of. That was the word I got over the weekend. But come to find out now here on the morning news. Today, which, by the way, this happened Friday, and it's now, as we record this Tuesday, there is one lone cow still on the loose. There was a, another new, Do you have news reports on a New York City TV stations, Brian, about loose cows and then follow-ups? Well, every now and then you'll have some story about a cow, actually. I don't know about a follow-up, but you will get stories about weird animals showing up in various places. There are a lot of farms just outside of New York City. So, so you know, say, and, and then there's every time they shoot the opening to McLeod, you've got the horse running down through Manhattan. Never, that's for all the old Sunday night mystery movie fans. Every time the they shoot that, yes. Yes. And well, there's, there's a lot of follow-up shooting going on with that. Poor, poor Dennis Weaver, he'll never get to retire. Anyway, the cow is still loose, and they have put on the news. They said it's, it's, it's been seen in various places. It's showing up on security cameras. D they said, do not approach the cow. As we've mentioned, the cow is in a bad mood, but they, they actually said on the news, <laughs> do not approach the cow. Call the LMPD, the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department, because they have a team or they will forward your information onto the team that's been assigned to round up this fucking cow. Now, that brings to mind, I'm living in a fucking city of somewhere around a million people, give or take, last time I checked, metropolitan area that has a police department that's not only been under investigation for every goddamn thing from soup to nuts in the past few years, but now has actually assigned a team to capture a rogue cow, an escapee cow, a cow on the loose, a menace to the dairy farmers across the, whatever the fuck. It's a cow. They've had a team on this from Friday until Tuesday, and the cow is still at large. You know, this is the perfect time to take advantage of something you said. Completely out of context, but to get some attention, we get a PR person, and we get it out there in the local press. Louisville wrestling legend says the cow must die. <laughs> and we make the story about you. I think it'll be great. It's He's hanging in the news there. He is still on. If any, I, I'm wondering if now, if some local citizens are aiding and abetting the cow, just because the police department around here has so much heat. They're probably trying to hide the cow. The cow may end up in the goddamn basement somewhere, somebody's house, behind a false wall. If someone took it, that no matter what should be the defense. I was afraid of what the police would do to it. I had to hide it from the cops. 
uh, apparently it's still wandering around though they're getting reports on cow sightings so folk but do not approach ladies and gentlemen and i'll i'll tell you know here's what i did yesterday and i want to tell you brian last what my no good wife stacy did yesterday to me now i was working away as i do every day and i was signing action figures as well as doing the the household chores, the, it's garbage day yesterday, had to get the garbage down to the road, was carrying and fetching and limping about because my back is bothering me. And I'll have you know that not only did she prepare me a Bloody Mary, first one I've had in months, and stuck it in my hand, but as well she fixed grilled salmon with the Quaker steak and lube tire cracker asian wing sauce that i love on my salmon and and as well uh, teased me with watching harley quinn romp in the leaves and then having family movie night so i could assign another 50 to 75 action figures if it had not been for my wife sabotaging me in such a horrific manner because i was on oh. a roll there oh how horrific yeah oh I don't we like should, we to should be, all have such problems. I don't like to be slacking off when I got action figures set, but I'll have you know that the fe did you see the picture that Hotchkiss tweeted out of the I think it was 350 something boxes in the back of the cargo van that Hotchkiss took to the post office and 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 handed to the government to wing their way to the Cornets collectibles customers the other day. He tweeted it out. It was a it was a mess, and I, I had my fingerprints all over that. My DNA is in there somewhere, but a lot of people are getting a lot of figures, and we are now down to the final 650 outstanding orders, which we believe in the next three to four weeks that we're going to just slap right in the face, and everybody's going to have their stuff well in time for the holidays, except if you live in... Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, or Bolivia, and then I'm not sure it might still be up in the air there. But nevertheless, uh, if you have an outstanding order at jimcornett.com, we working on them, and we're we're kicking ass there. Except when my wife distracts me with with threats of Bloody Marys, salmon, and puppies. And did you see we talked about last week or sometime on the program? The I Was There episode of the, it's a YouTube series that Vice does, vice.com, not Vice TV. I'm all over Vice. I'm a, should I be a vice president? Or maybe when I was a kid, you know, my, my family always thought that I would make my living through Vice. But, uh, Did they? uh I'm sure they must have. After, <laughs> you know, actually, my Uncle Harold. I'm on national television on TBS every week. I'm on in a hundred and something syndicated television markets across the country. I'm making three or four thousand dollars a week in 1986, right? And he talked to my mom one time on the phone and he's like, so is is Jimmy ever going to give up on that wrestling and get a real job? Because he's been an insurance <laughs> salesman, right? And he's like, I can, you know, I can talk to him about insurance. <laughs> she said, Harold, I think he's, he didn't know he's not a wrestling fan. Harold, I think he's doing okay. But anyway, where was I going with all this? 
You were going to, I was there. I was there. Well, I was there when Jerry Lawler wrestled Andy Kaufman and the interview with me uh, and my photography and, and talking about that is on YouTube. If you go to Vice, Vice's YouTube channel and, and just look up, I was there. Uh, but I wanted to thank everybody again for the kind words because, again, one person in, either tweeted or was one of the comments or whatever said, yeah, when I looked at this, I thought, that looks like a healthy Jim Cornette. And then it was him. So That is the best you've ever... Because you're not wearing your T-shirt well, and... Fuck you. Well, no, no, you I, look good. You look really good there, I have to say. But the best you've ever looked when I was 25, maybe I didn't look a little better than well, that? Well, I guess maybe, because you had a little more hair and uh, you weren't yet... Oh, no, really so clean. now I'm getting, I'm going bald, according to you. No, but it's a very neatly done... I thought you just said thing. I look better than I ever had. Well, get your story you straight. Do. For an older man, <laughs> you have the right amount of hair. If all of a sudden you had the hair you had when you were 23 now, you'd look ridiculous. And there's a few people I could point to. I would look like Jim Hurd did. Would he look like he was wearing a coonskin cap? Are you saying that you think Jim Hurd had a wig? He had too much. No, he just had too much hair for his fucking head. <laughs> Instead of having too many brains for his head, he had too much hair for his head. He had plenty of room for hair because he didn't have any brains. But nevertheless, you were there. I was there. And boy, I couldn't wait to get out of there, but I was also there on Vice, and uh, thank you to everybody who said I looked so good, and for, I, I dressed up, because it's a, it, that's a, a program that appeals to a wide audience. It's not just the, the wrestling fans that know that I sit around the house in a slovenly fashion all day. So I was sprucing up a little bit, but, and also there's an article now, on a written article with my Kaufman Lawler photos and firsthand account on Vice's website. So look that up in some fashion. I tweeted a link, but if you don't follow me or if I blocked you because you're a Republican, you couldn't get that. So look for that somewhere. And of course, Tales from the Territories is on Vice TV every Tuesday night at 10 o'clock Eastern Time. And well, we're recording this tonight, but the fans will not. The people, the cult of Cornette will not hear it until sometime tomorrow, depending on your... When do you come down with leprosy? Is that scheduled for Friday? Or have you figured that out yet? What about the projectile belching? I think I finished with that. Okay, and the... the, Oh, all right, nevertheless. Um, Anyway, at whatever time the show comes out, last night or whenever, it was about Florida with Kevin Sullivan and Steve Kern and Gerald Briscoe and, and some other folks. But we, I haven't seen that yet because it hadn't happened yet, so I can't talk about it. But if you saw it, people out there, the royal you, well, then that's just swell. But next week, I don't know which of the episodes is airing either, but 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. I'm going to be on eventually. Keep your fingers crossed. It's coming up soon. Brian, I got to ask you a question. What? To, here's the thing. Sometimes on this program, I know this is your show, and I'll be more than happy to turn it over to you here as soon as I'm finished. More than happy, okay. We're trying to more than, I'll be ecstatic. More than happy. Punched as pleased. Um, After we get finished with the entertainment portion of the program, then you can start us talking about wrestling. But you know me. And there's some pop culture people and phenomenons and things that I could give 
a French fried titty fuck about just two shits and, and have no knowledge of anything that goes on with these things or people, right? You've, you've become aware of this in the time we've known each other. Yes. Okay. Well, one of those people is currently making a lot of news and people are pissed off at him right and left. And apparently I don't know what the deal is. So I'm going to ask you, if you, because you are younger, you have a wider pop, especially in this field. Is this, is he a mental incompetent? Is it drugs? Is it crazy? Is it stupid? What's the deal with Kanye West? Oh, this fucking guy. I actually think he's a great example of the cop-out it is to point to people who are just narcissists and assholes and say that it's mental illness. There are really mentally ill people out there. This fucking guy is not one of them. He's been making a number of anti-Semitic comments, which is after several years of his ignorance and ignorant comments and ignorant behavior and abhorrent behavior, whatever you want to say, after years of that being pushed aside because people said, oh, he has mental illness. He's having a bout of it now. And he just has to be on Twitter while this is happening. This guy is now getting canceled, I guess you could say, by all the companies that he was working with. Yes. Who put up with him? Well, hold on one second and I'll let you launch into it because this is a learning experience for me because I know that in some way this dipshit is married to one of the Kardashians. I couldn't tell you, a, identify a song because I believe he's a rapper. I know he's apparently being dropped by all these companies for making clothing that I've never wanted to buy and of course have never worn. And apparently, as you say, I'm not saying he has mental illness. I'm saying he's a god. He's a mental incompetent. He's a complete yeah. moron. Is he taking drugs and it's fried his brain? Is he stu that stupid? What is his issue and how has he gotten this far that Adidas would now be saying, get the fuck away from us? Go ahead. The thing about him, you have to understand this, because he had a lot of success in music and he's a very gifted producer and a very gifted musician. A lot of people gave him a lot of leeway to run wild with a lot of shit. And he made a lot of money and he married Kim Kardashian. Right now they're going through a bitter divorce because he's a nut. <laughs> and he's a nut, not because he's mentally ill, but because he, he's been allowed to get to this point. I knew his mom. What? I knew his mom because when I worked at Sony, his mom and his other stooges like John Monopoly and all these guys were coming into my boss's office to get their record label off the ground. Good music. That's how John Legend got signed to Columbia Records was through that. So, so Kanye had, had a Trent's mom in the minivan? His mom would have <laughs> slapped the phone out of his hand. And that's the problem. He's unchecked. And they blame a lot of it on his reaction to his mom's passing. He was an asshole before that. They blame a lot of it on mental illness. He's an asshole with or without mental illness. He's just a fucking asshole who's been enabled. And the other thing that drives me really crazy, again, talented musician, talented producer. Although I don't know how many people are going to want to listen to his music anymore. Well, I was about to say also at you saying that now. I mean, he's a rapper. So are we grading on a curve here? I would actually tell you, if you listen to his music and compared it to other contemporary hip hop or rap, you would probably appreciate the best of his music, how good it is. I really You mean that. to tell me that if I was to take Kanye West's big diuretic shit in my hands and take a big whiff of that and compare that to all the other people taking a, taking a diarrheic 
shit in my hands that his would smell much better. I'm saying all hip-hop is in diuretic shit, and you know that. But, taking all of that out of the equation, he somehow got to be a fashion maven. This is what drives me nuts, because he dresses like a fucking bum, and if you <laughs> ever see any of his clothing, sometimes in the newspaper they'll have, like, the latest Kanye West fashion show, and you see what people are wearing, they all look like well-dressed homeless people. He has no <laughs> fashion sense whatsoever. He's a fucking joke. Make designed nice sneakers, I guess, if people like those. But give me a break. So all these companies hoisted him up and allowed him to run wild with the stupidest fucking shit. And now we'll see what happens. Now, he doubled down the other day when they gave him a chance to apologize for some of the ignorance and anti-Semitic comments. I saw an interview with him and Pierce Morgan. Pierce Morgan was very reasonable. Okay, I'm giving you another chance. Instead, he started attacking Pierce Morgan. The guy's completely ignorant about history. The guy's completely ignorant about world events to this day. And we'll see how much of a platform he has now. But well, now, well here, here's the thing also is that because uh, I saw this clip, did apparently he said, oh, okay, I'll say I said anti-Semitic things and what's Adidas going to do about it? And then they dropped him like a prom night dumpster. Bag. Adidas, which started by, I don't know if it was started by, but it was the clothing apparel of Hitler Youth. It's a German company. What the That company decided to part ways with him because of anti-Semitism. Like, even they've moved past Now, it. wait a minute. Hold on now. You may be burying the lead here. Are we going to have to call Stephen P. News so Adidas was started by the Hitler Youth? I didn't Can say, you flesh that out a little bit? Hold what? on. I'm going to look this up real quick on the air. <laughs> I didn't say started by. I said the official apparel of the Hitler Youth. Oh, they, they were doing the commercials. And you know, Hold on, the company was founded by Adolf, not that Adolf, Adolf Dassler, who made sports shoes in his mother's scullery, or laundry room, in Germany after his return from World War I. Both Dassler brothers, I guess he had a brother, joined the Nazi party in May 1933 and also became members of the National Socialist Motor Corps. Furthermore, Adolf took the rank of Sportwart, Whatever that is. What? In the Hitler Youth from Wait a 1935 I've, 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 until the end sport, of the war. I had a sport wart one time, and it, it required not only medical intervention, but uh, antibiotics. But these people made money off of it? This is interesting. I didn't know this. After the war, the brothers split up in 1947 after relations between them had broken down. With Adolf forming a company registered as Adidas AG, and Rudolph forming a new company called Ruda, later rebranded as Puma. I didn't know that. That's interesting. So if you wear tennis shoes in this modern world, you are descended from a Nazi. Well, it depends on what shoe. I don't think Nike has any Nazi ties, to be honest. I don't think my flip-flop company has any ties to Nazis. What, 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 what about the good old Chuck Taylors? I'm not talking about Muffin Top on AEW. I'm talking about the original Chuck Taylor. Is, is, is he okay? He probably served in the Cub Scouts or something, didn't he? Chuck Taylor's okay. Chuck Lindbergh is bad. <laughs> Nevertheless, so where were we going with this? So, uh, so Kanye. basically, Kanye, back to Kanye. So what you're saying is the company that was started by members of the Nazi party, even Kanye is so over the top, they don't even want anything to do with him. What, what is Kanye's issue with Jewish people? What Jewish person 
has pissed in his post toasties or crapped in his cornflakes? What is he so up in arms about on such a personal basis that he feels like wandering across the country, losing sponsorships left and right with his verbal effluvia? You know, funny enough, if you look into the history of anti-Semitism, it usually doesn't come from any specific thing. It usually comes from someone else having their own personal issues and needing someone to blame for them. Oh, I thought you were going to start down Kanye's personal issues list. How many does he have? Do we have a list of Kanye's personal issues? He has all sorts of issues. Remember, Kim Kardashian got away from him, and she's a whole different story. Got away from him and started dating that guy from SNL, Pete Davidson, and then Kanye started assaulting him and attacking him on Twitter nonstop, which apparently poisoned their relationship. Who wait knows? a minute, wait a minute. Hold on now. I have seen Pete Davidson. Why would you want to have close interpersonal physical contact with that fucking guy? He looks like a walking germ. Does he not have his own fucking issues? Well, apparently, and I only know this because it made it to the New York Post. Apparently, he has what the women call BDE, big dick energy, because also it made it to the Post that a radio show host was talking about how Kanye and him fell out because the radio show host was friends with Pete Davidson and Kanye yelled at him, how could you be friends with a white boy with a 10-inch dick that's fucking my wife? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but we're not talking about just your average person on the street, Kim Kardashian has, uh, I'm sure, tons of money A desire of for publicity, yes. What, what are we going to say? Well, I was going to say tons of money. Certainly she could purchase a 10-inch dick that was attached to something that didn't look like it would give you fucking hoof and mouth disease. She's looking for the cameras. She's looking for what will get her in page six. She's looking for what will look good on the cover of various crappy magazines at the newsstand at the, you know, grocery store. That's what it's about. It's a whole fake lifestyle and fake life. But what? But that so, took so, in Kanye West. I mean, that's the thing. She married this guy that everyone knew was a lunatic. He has a school that he. You know about the school he opened up? What to teach? What? Hold on. I don't know how long we're gonna go with. Kanye and by West and by today. well and by the way, also all the magazine covers and everything you talked about to be standing next to a walking sexually transmitted disease with legs like pete davidson is that a great fucking is he someone that gets a lot of publicity except if he goes to jail or is found drunk in the street or something he gets a lot of publicity for the women he dates it makes you wonder how many there's of them, been more than one there's been more than one celebrity woman to date pete Davidson. look if you, what is he goddamn mastered mind control? Look at the state of him. It doesn't matter. He's on TV. If you were on TV more often on something other than Vice, you would believe what would be going hey, on. Hey, I've been on TV plenty. Not now. And I didn't look like that. If you went on SNL right now, you wouldn't be able to walk down the street in New York City without women throwing themselves on you, Jim Cornette. Well, all right. Oh, you see, you don't fight about that. Book it. I'm, I'm not booking. You're not coming to New York. Get out of here. I'll I'll drive if the money if the money's right. If you got the money, honey. I got the, uh, all right. But if, what are you looking up? I'm looking up Kanye West school. Apparently, there's a lot of articles about this. Is this one? Uh, this one you have to subscribe to read. The title from Rolling Stone is "Inside Kanye West's Mysterious New Private School." 
Is that kind of like when I said that Stan Lane was so charitable, he was out starting a home for unwed mothers and he was making sure they were well stocked with unwed mothers? Hey, that picture of Glenn Jacobs with Lauren Boebert, you think he said, hey, I know your dad. Well, that's another conversation. <laughs> I, you know, do you think you know, he said that or do you think he said, I know the guy that could have been in the Midnight Express. He actually works in my wrestling school. <laughs> All right. Since we're, since we're just spilling our guts on various things here today, let me tell you an interaction that I just had yesterday and then when I just saw that. Because I wasn't going to tell this story until I saw that and then I'm thinking about I'll just tell this story. So... As everybody, because you mentioned Vice, well, A&E is doing a biography on apparently everybody that's ever stepped foot in a WWE ring at some point or another. And they contacted me, one of the producers, about doing something for the Kane biography that they're working on. And I haven't signed any NDAs with anybody. And if anybody thinks I'm bullshitting about this, I've got documentation. So just take the ride on the story with me, folks. And I was thinking about it because, you know, here's the thing. And I've told you this the past few years. I do not want to have anything to do with an officially either something that is associated with a specific wrestling promotion or that is authorized, endorsed or done in conjunction with as the A&E programs are with WWE. So it's the same thing, because then if I get on here and I say, well, such and such was good, then all the wise asses can say, well, that's because he's taking their money. And if I say such and such sucks, then all the wise asses can say, well, but he's not too good to take their money, even though it's blah, blah, blah. So you can't win, right? So I do the independent projects with their folks' advice and whatever. But it... <laughs> I always, because of not only our Smoky Mountain re wrestling relationship, but also the gimmick with Kane and Glenn as a person up until he's apparently lost his mind. Actually, he hadn't lost his mind. He's lost his integrity because he's a smart guy, so he knows he's propping up criminals and fucking crooks, liars. But I was mulling over the email, and then, you know, I said... I'm, I'm going to stick to it. And I wrote the guy back and I said, and also the last line that I wrote him back was, as in, to be honest, the biggest risk, I might even do something for Kane or for Glenn from what I've always thought of him as a wrestler to person, except now that he's come out in such full throated endorsement of the fucking pig that squatted in the white house for four years and tried to overthrow democracy. I would be called a hypocrite, and rightfully so, by my audience if I was to praise him at this point in public forum. So, I declined. And I was that was my instinct to do that, and then I sat there for a few more hours thinking, well, blah, 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 should I have done it, or should I do it, and, you know. And then came my dinner and everything else, and right before I go to bed, I'm checking for an email on a completely unrelated subject that I need, and... I click on the Twitter machine just in time to see somebody has tweeted me a picture of Glenn Jacobs, Mayor Kane, at some type of, it looked like very empty, sparsely attended function with not only with Lauren Bubert, the only ever elected 
politician in the United States of America whose suspected fathers outnumber her IQ points. And to top it off, coming back from the distant past and from irrelevancy and under a rock somewhere, Dana Loesch, the soulless Stepford wife ghoul who every time kids get slaughtered by one of these gun nuts in a fucking school somewhere or whatever, comes out and tries to shriek and shrew and sell people more guns, and her toadying fucking silent movie villain beard-wearing husband <laughs> who carries her goddamn jockstrap and Twitter account around, Chris Loesch, and praising them. For And here's the thing I'm going to say about that, and then we'll get back to whatever you were looking up. Glenn Jacobs isn't a stupid guy. That means he knows exactly what Donald Trump is and exactly what he's done, and he knows exactly what the rest of these Republican fucking assholes, politicians, and personalities that he pats on the back and puts his arm around are and what they do. And he's putting up with it for fucking votes. And I never thought I'd have to say that about a guy like that. But he's not, he's not stupid and gullible enough to be sucked into believing any of that shit, the election denying and the whole nine yards. And he never seemed like an asshole that would naturally want to associate with people that fucking put up with multiple people being slaughtered every fucking day and all that other shit. So he's doing it for the votes because he's chosen the party who relies on the stupid, the ignorant, the gullible, and the repugnant for their votes because nobody else will vote for that shit. So trust your first instincts, folks, because mine was right. It wasn't six hours after I saw that, e or I sent that email that I saw that picture. I think that's one of the things that, from what I understand from other people who may be disappointed in him who know him personally, the feeling that, okay, he was into Ayn Rand and everything, but he knows better. He's doing this. This is an act. This is a performance. This is pandering to what some would argue is the lowest common denominator. And that's the thing that I think bothers everyone, the fact that everyone believes he knows better. Yeah and has chosen to do this because of what it would personally gain him. And apparently it's working because, I mean, let's face it, as far as an elected Republican, he is goddamn Albert Einstein from the party of, you know, Marjorie Treason Green and historically Sarah Palin. And let's not forget all the other dipshits that they've tried to float both male and female into and have successfully put into office to now say stupid things on a regular basis. So anyway, trust your instincts and watch out for those German shoe companies. You never know what's going on there. Yeah, when someone burns their family alive, maybe you shouldn't give them a second chance. Now, are you talking about the German shoemakers? I'm talking Kane? about Kane. I was talking about Kane. Okay, well, you got to be specific here. We've we've bopped around a little bit. And one last thing before we wrap up uh, everything here. Back to Kanye, you had me look this up. This is an article from three days ago, Business Insider. 
for $15,000 and a signed NDA, students at Kanye West's unaccredited Donda Academy start the day with full school worship before parkour enrichment classes. What? Wait, what? Well, there's a few bullet notes here. What is Don Donde? Well, that that was his mom's uh, is name. Is that Don? Is that Spanish? That was his mom's name. His mom was oh, Donda okay. West. But here's uh, Kanye West. And, open. And what is it? Is it's it, it, they worship something followed by parkour? Well, the bullet points under the headline say Kanye West opened a private Christian school in a conservative Los Angeles suburb in November 2021. So now he's re he's religious and conservative, also as well as deranged. The unaccredited pre-K through 12th grade school costs $15,000 per year to attend, Rolling Stone reported. In addition to daily worship services, the choir and sports-focused school offers parkour classes. <laughs> Tucked away in a conservative suburb of Los Angeles is a small Christian school offering an unaccredited education the owner claims could, quote, actually turn your kids into, like, geniuses. <laughs> Kanye West, who in September claimed he never read a book because reading, this is a quote, quote, reading is like eating Brussels sprouts, opened a Donda Academy in November 2021. Last month, Good Morning America, excuse me, last month on Good Morning America, West said the school, which is run by administrators, some of whom have limited education experience, could turn kids into geniuses, but acknowledged even his own children don't attend. <laughs> Since its opening in the quiet enclave of Simi Valley, the rapper and designer has answered few media questions about the school, which require a signed NDA to attend, but he told GMA the academy, quote, gives kids practical tools that they need in a world post the iPhone being created. West added, there are currently 82 enrolled students. Representatives for West did not respond to insiders' requests for comment. And then it goes into, here are the headlines for the rest of the article. I'll just read you the headlines. Daily worship, choir, and parkour. <laughs> Unaccredited institution and unknown instructors. <laughs> Non-disclosure agreements required. And then it talks about, oh, this is interesting, other celebrity schools. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's New Village Leadership Academy opened in 2008 and closed five years later. A long life cycle compared to others. Uh, Deion Sanders' Prime Prep Academy focused on its athletic program shuttered within three years of its 2012 opening due to financial problems. And now uh, in the market is Kanye West with his school. What the fuck? It's like the WWF New York restaurant. When you think about the WWF, the first thing you wouldn't think about is fine dining. I don't know that I would want Kanye West to educate anyone on anything, apparently. An unaccredited school with unknown instructors. <laughs> At what point do the parents who send their kids there need to be talked to? <laughs> Seriously, what the fuck? I don't care how much you like this guy's music. What the fuck? Well, what's happened to musicians back in the 60s and 70s? All the rock and roll stars, they were the fucking liberals and the atheists and the goddamn Democrats and the, and the cool people. And now all the fucking people in music, they're all goddamn, they're either a bunch of fucking right-wing fanatics or a bunch of religious nuts. Well, again, he's a well, special kind of We can't even trust nuts. our goddamn entertainers anymore. Who can we trust? If you can't trust 
A drug-addled rock star getting a blowjob from a groupie in a fucking dumpster. Well, when we talk about the dumpster and the groupies, we may be talking about someone else here, but let me ask well, you I'm this. I'm just saying. You know what I was just thinking? You may remember, you may know Kanye West without realizing it. Kanye West, and looking back now at his behavior, it makes you really think about this. When they did the live telethon for Hurricane Katrina, Kanye West was standing next to Mike Myers and he improv live on the air. He's George the one Bush that hates George black Bush people. doesn't care about black people. Hates black people. <laughs> that was him. Well, why did he switch parties all of a sudden when his, uh, his other party gave him a black president? Remember, they asked Obama about him once. And Obama said he's a clown. <laughs> I mean, like everyone knows what he is. It's just, you know, too many people have given him too much slack because they like his beats. They didn't look at the fact that he dresses like a fucking clown, behaves like a fucking mental incompetent, and just is a shitty human being. And you can't blame mental. There are really mentally ill people. Hey, listen, go look at wrestling Twitter. There are some really mentally ill people out there. Don't put that on him. This guy's just an asshole because he's enabled and he has money. That's it. Without all that, he'd be standing in front of the Empire State Building, dressed the same, yelling at people, looking for money. Same guy. Well? It's your show. Well, Jim, I can't speak about Kanye West or whether or not he's mentally ill, but I can tell you after this segment and after the last few days I had, I could really, right now, use a nap. If only I had here in my office right now my Helix Sleep Mattress. Well, you know, you could order one and have it delivered to your office door in a box that you could carry even in your COVID-riddled condition, and you could just open that box and watch it come to life right there in the floor and just lay down and do the show. That's what you could that do. is a great idea. And you know, they're quick. Boom, boom. It's delivered straight to your door. And post-haste, I would say, after you order the thing. That's what she, because that way, you know, that's probably what's going on with these Kanye Wests and these Pete Davidsons. You don't want to let that happen to you. Well, because, Pete Davidson didn't do anything wrong. Let's just clarify well, this. No, he's just, he was he's just, just living. A, he's just a disheveled, drug-addled bum. Will you stop it? He's not drug-addled. But, but here's the thing. Didn't, didn't he on all kinds of drugs? I've seen him on some kind of shows talking about being on all kinds of them drugs. But that's not drug-addled if you're taking medication. He's probably, he's probably shooting up the marijuana pills. Oh, my God. But I'll tell you what. Here's the thing. Folks, if you don't get a good night's sleep, then you're going to end up looking like Kanye West or Pete Davidson, but you won't be a star on Saturday Night Live, and you won't be a big music star, and you won't have a ton of money, and you won't have a 10-inch appendage. You'll just look like disheveled bums wandering Central Park because they haven't got a good night's sleep. Do you want that to happen to you, Brian? Do you want that to happen to you? No. Well, if you don't, get with the program. The way you're going to get the best night's sleep is with the Helix Sleep Mattresses. We've been talking about them forever. And if you haven't still made available the opportunity to yourself to get these things, well, you're just plum loco is what you are. Now, look at what they give. Not only do they have tons of different mattresses, 14 unique mattresses, including luxury models. They got mattresses for big and tall sleepers. If you're seven feet tall or 600 pounds, well, God bless you. You're going to need to do something. You're not going to live a long life. But you can sleep on a good mattress while you're around. Now, you say maybe you want a, you want a mattress, but you're not sure about buying one that you haven't slept on. Because, you know, sometimes 
you go to these mattress stores, right? And they, they have overeager sales associates. They're asking you probing questions about what kind of positions you like. That happens to me all the time. There's nothing worse than that, except last time I went to buy a mattress in a store, Brian, the guy said, well, take a nap on it. See if you like it. I said, okay. Well, I took my shoes off first, but I curled up. I'd been asleep about 30 minutes. I woke up to try to turn the light off, and there the son of a gun was laying right next to me, snoozing away with a comforter over the both of us. I felt awkward. You don't want, and that won't happen with Helix. No, it will not. No, because you do it right online. You take the Helix sleep quiz, and it takes into account your individual sleep preferences to match you and your partner or partners. Who are we to tell you how to live your life with the absolute perfect mattress and a hundred nights risk-free to try it out for a hundred nights. You are risk-free. But now I've said this before and I've been corrected by you, Brian. I assumed if you were risk-free for a hundred nights, that meant nothing bad could possibly happen to you for a hundred nights because you were completely risk-free. But you've told me that I'm in error with that, that Helix does not guarantee that, correct? They guarantee you'll be happy with your mattress. or But you're not completely risk-free for the whole hunt. It's only when you're on the Helix mattress that you are risk-free and nothing bad can happen to you. Well, no, if you get up, if you if you get up and go out in public, who would want to go out in public in these uncertain times? No. But that's where you're taking your no, life no, 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 in your no. hands. And even if you get up and piss, you can fall down the stairs. They're not going to cover you for that. I it's only when you're laying on this mattress that you are risk-free. As a matter of fact, no, this, if this, you buy it and no. keep it and don't ask for your money back, which they'll happily give you, then the, depending on what you buy, you got a 10 or 15-year warranty. That means that as long as you're laying on this Helix mattress for the next 10 or 15 years, nothing could happen to you. You're, you're under warranty. That's exactly nothing. not right. What they're saying is there's no financial risk. Like you said, they give you your money back. There's a money back guarantee. That is well, the you risk. Know, doctor bills, that's a financial risk. So if, if you're older, if you're like in your sixties by now, your time is running out. What I do is I'd buy one of these mattresses, get the 10 or 15 year warranty and never leave this mattress. Don't get up for any reason. You could well, no, that's fall not, down the stairs, whatever the fuck. You'll get bed sores. That's not a good you'll idea You'll get bed sores. Well, there you're covered for that because you're on no, the Helix you, mattress. No, that's so not the way. No, that's not the way the risk-free process worked. It's There's no financial risk. You could try it out. Make sure you enjoy it, and you will. It's a fantastic mattress. I'm going to have one delivered to my office door shortly. And get your money back if you actually don't like it, which you you will love this mattress. But Anything what that happens to you when you're on the mattress, warranty. listen, if you're on the mattress and a tornado hits, it has nothing to do with you. You're Helix. covered. No, you're not covered. Unless you have good insurance. You'll be covered one way or another with your house or you'll, they'll find you under the mattress. But the mattress will still be sleepable, even if, if you're a, a corpse after the tornado blows did, you five miles down the road. How did this happen? How did this happen? What? It's because of the unique and qualified manufacturers that helix uses that's how it happens and they're all it's american-made stuff you don't have to worry about any kind of foreign ingredients that could grow spores that will take over your body during the night because everything comes from the usa a team of skilled manufacturers works on this and they don't let those people out until they finish so 
because Helix owns no, its own he, manufacturing facility, which they, so they control the means and production. They run everything with accordance to whatever local. They run rules. everything with an iron hand. I'll tell you what, and local ordinances be damned. They're going to get this quality product out to you. Because they control the means and production at Helix. With workers going home at a normal hour after a 40-hour work week. Well, sometimes you need to support the workers and sometimes you need to support the, the administration. But Helix supports what? military, first responders, <laughs> teachers, and students by giving them a special <laughs> discount on the site. Which have we mentioned is Helix, H-E-L-I-X, Helix Sleep dot com that's what the website is and if you go to helixsleep.com slash jce then the fine folks there at helix that control the means and production are offering up two hundred dollars off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners because we don't want you people to end up like kanye west and pete davidson and potentially well, the pete covid davidson. riddled brian last well i do have covid and your brain fog is coming in, I can tell you. But anyway, the number one mattress pick by Wired Magazine. And if you can, if you can sleep on something while you're wired up to a dagum, to an outlet or a machine or something like that, it's great. It's it's recommended by multiple leading chiropodists, or is that chiropractors? Chi and chiropractors. Well, one of the one of the chiropodists or the chiropractors. What are the what do they chirop? And doctors of sleep medicine like this thing, too. Doctors of sleep medicine? Yes. That's something title. I aspire to. I wonder if, if well, no, I can't, probably can't say that. They probably <laughs> Nevertheless, if you're nervous about buying a mattress online, don't be. Because they've got over 12,000 five-star reviews. Helix. We love them. And just don't. Don't zip anybody up in that little pouch on the side. Oh, stop it, stop it. And for real, actually, we have a Helix downstairs. One of the Helixes in the house is in the uh, the guest quarters, and we've had house guests recently, and they love the Helix sleep mattress. And see, and those are people. Those are that people. Have no, That's they right. don't have any dog in this fight because you've never met them before. Well, no, there was I, I no know them. preconceived material, and, <laughs> and nothing was worked out ahead of time. You just let some people wander in your house and said, hey, Sleep on this mattress and tell me what you think. That's not exactly and how it worked. And they raved about it. Did you ever find that silverware? It was family. I knew them. However, they didn't they love the mattress. They were all related to each other. It's, all, it's not often you find an entire homeless family. It's not often you go 10 minutes talking about Helix sleep mattresses and... Well, we could. We could do an hour on Helix sleep now that I think about it. I could do eight hours. I do every night. Helixsleep.com slash JCE. That's right. Well, Jim, it's time to wake up because we started the AEW roster review on part one. Oh, well, we started boy. part one, I should say, on the Jim Cornette experience. We have part two here today. Again, we're just looking at the male roster for now. Any thoughts after the first part, which was much longer than I anticipated going into it? Well, we, we thought the original premise of this was okay now with all that's happened lately let's see if aew can field a decent team what what would their roster look like if you got rid of all the dreck separated the wheat from the chaff or the chumps as the case may be and we 
By the time we got to the M's, because their roster is listed in alphabetical order, by the time we got to the M's, we were 70-something names in. So we 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 said, well, we'll do part two on the drive-through. So I want to bring people up to date because I've recopied my notes just where we are at this point. Obviously, the people we were going to keep, I'll rattle them off real quickly. MJF, the best promo. But when you wrestling. say we, it's you. You had your picks. Well, I had my picks, but you should agree with me. I get, well, okay, these are my picks then. You're not endorsing my picks? Well, you had a few I wouldn't endorse, and there's a few I would have done differently. Well, I'll go down through here then, and you argue with me if you want to. But take your pick. The shovel is my pick. MJF, the best promo in the business today. Brian Danielson, the best in-ring performer, I think, wrestler who can do the modern style and not make it silly, phony, choreographed, whatever. When he wants to be. When he, when he wants to, he can do the other stuff too, but when he wants to be, and when he was on the right track last year, FTR, Dax and Cash, the best tag team in wrestling, CM Punk, the biggest box office attraction they have in the company, and then there's going to be a couple here that there's an asterisk, and I noted LL beside their names, which would be contingent on whether they could listen and learn. Because some people may have names and raw talent, but apply them in horrible ways and need to be redirected. And John Moxley's one of those. Then we're also keeping Wardlow. We're keeping Miro, if he would listen and learn. Jay Lethal, the acclaimed, both of them. Austin and Colton Gunn. Claudio Castagnoli. Christian Cage, who, if he can overcome this injury, can still have excellent matches, and you need some guys from that. That's He's of the last generation that can still go in the ring and has the experience and the knowledge and can teach, but is kind of modern. You see, he's walking that line there. Billy Gunn, who is more over now than he was 20 years ago and obviously will transition at some point over the next year or two into a coaching situation, but I would keep him on the roster. Darby Allen, again, listen and learn as long as we can keep him from killing himself for free with six or eight of his friends over at the park. Kyle O'Reilly. Keith Lee, if he could listen and learn and potentially not speak like a goddamn librarian. Mark Quinn, under the listen and learn uh, banner of what a great natural athlete and could he be focused properly without distractions of cheerleaders and trampoline self-trained individuals around. Hook. And some people are, oh, Hook. Well, Hook, already with the limited exposure he's had, the people like him, and yes, that's somewhat of a fad. They decided... They're going to get together and like the, the kid with the weird hair, and they like Taz. But every time he gets in the ring, he has a completely different style. He's a lot like Kyle O'Reilly. Completely different style. And uses his strong points at judo throws and things in his favor. 
And I think he's got a nice future. And the same we said for Nick Comorato, who without Solo and a Go-Go and Cutie, looks like a jacked-up Pampiro Furpo, and you could do something with that guy. He's a gimmick waiting to happen. And 2.0 under the Listen and Learn banner, because they're at least big mouths and have some personality, but they've been... Unfortunately, uh, they they have the Jericho stench of bad flunky group in them. And I'm going to add one more because I was mis- I was thinking of another person when you mentioned this guy's name. And some people on Twitter were like, how can you say that? Remember Buddy? Good old Buddy. Buddy Murphy, yeah. I said, fuck Buddy. Well, no, buddy I was Matthews. thinking. Buddy Matthews. Buddy Matthews. Well, I don't even know. Are there two Buddies or was he a Buddy in WWE and now he's a Buddy here? What is he now? He is now Buddy Matthews. He used to be Buddy Murphy, and then they made him just Murphy. Okay, that's right. Well, whatever the fuck. And Buddy sucks, too, except if you're Buddy Landell or Buddy Rogers. But he looks like a good athlete. I'm going to put him in the keep column under the, because I don't know anything about him, under the listen and learn category. And then there was a few more that I was on. The, I put a fence category in where you were trying to fucking argue with me about a couple of these people and or a couple we didn't exactly know Brody King possibly somehow something just the house of black ruined everybody in that thing for me Dante Martin we've got the incredibly unnatural natural athlete in Mark Quinn Dante is known for his leaping also but also for his moop face and lack of any personality so if you got two guys that you're trying to concentrate on that that both their calling card is the same thing in this case giant leaping ability and athleticism then go with the one that has most personality so we got Mark Quinn Eddie Kingston, who we liked at a, at a point, but it, he's not really try, either trying to grow. He didn't have any help on the promotional push, and he apparently hates everybody in the locker room and or they him, and they got enough of that going on, so we were up in the air about that. Adam Cole, wh- which one would you get? Would you get the guy that halfway looked like a smaller, well-conditioned athlete that was the star of NXT, or would you get emaciated Adam Cole that looks like he's 120 pounds, hadn't seen the sun in fucking months? I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. You know, goddamn, it it just fell apart in every way. Um, Same thing, Lance Archer. Big guy. Impressive shit. You know, but He's been there, then he's not, then he's a heel, and he's a baby face, he's with Jake, above blah, 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 just, it's, yeah. I've reconsidered another one. Brian Pillman Jr., actually, as I looked at a comprehensive list of who I was keeping, it's not because of the guy or the talent that he has, it's just they've just botched it so bad. How many rehab projects can you keep on a roster if you're trying to run a business which is why we were trying to look at it. How would we run a business? Everybody be able to contribute. No fucking self-trained assholes or, you know, the indie idiocy. And, you know, there's only a few people that you can keep and try to rehab for the future. It may be past Brian's time. I don't know. 
And I'm on the fence about Andre Oleolio because I said I'd keep him since you said he could work. If only if he had Alex Abrahantes as his um, impersonator, his, interro- his interrogator. I didn't what? say that at all. You said that. No, you said he could work. I said he could work, and then you s- – I didn't say as long as he has Alex. And you said no, that. you said he could work, and I said as long as he could have Alex, I'd, but I'm, on, I'm still on the fence. Um, there are three people that I've moved into a coach's roster because at this point – Christopher Daniels, Dustin Rhodes, and Frankie Kazarian. And remember, I said Frankie can still work, and I would use him to put over some of the, because he's a great baby face, some of the upper echelon heels on the way up. Dustin's already talking about retiring. Chris Daniels is older than he looks and is in great shape. But And if, you can get, if I could determine whether Chris has totally fallen in the camp of the Cucamonga kids, and is a buckaroo, or if he's still serious about the wrestling business. And we're going to toss some people. Anthony Agogo. I'm sorry, but he's gone, gone, because it's been years, and we've seen nothing at this point. Griff Garrison, same thing. Brock Anderson. I was willing to give him a chance about a year and a half ago when they showed us what he looked like three or four times, and I haven't seen him since. I assume if anything was going to happen there, it would have happened. Lee Johnson and Lee Moriarty. Because if you can't remember which one's which and what, who does what, that's a sign there. Matt Seidel, lovely young man. He came in, got beat several times, hadn't been seen in a long time. Why fuck break that string? Jake Hager. Tell me the first fucking thing that he has contributed to a match or an interview or a an incident, for that matter. Matt and Jeff Hardy, as bad as I hate to say it, Jeff probably doesn't need to get back into the business for the next year or two to uh, protect or enhance his chances of coming out of the rehab successfully and etc and with his physical condition and his age and matt because of his physical condition and his age and they've given him brain damage and bashed his face in already and he's had 10 different gimmicks half of them heels half of them baby faces nobody's been able to keep track of what the fuck they have completely made the hardy boys who what two years ago not even we said, well, this could still be the hottest tag team reunion they could put together. And now it's like, if they ever come back, who gives a shit? That's the Booker of the Year. John Silver, because he's comedy. If he'd ever showed that that uh, he could get out of that, I mean, just silly comedy, goofy comedy. Not even comedy comedy. And... uh Ethan Page and Brian Cage, who I both think are fucking goofs, and this modern, you know, high school drama class style of wrestler. Alex Reynolds, unless he comes up with another formula for aluminum foil. Malachi Black, who doesn't want to be there to begin with, so he should enjoy any help he he can get to get out of there. And our friend Daniel Garcia, that's in the toss column. 
because again, yeah, I'm sure he's a fine little athlete. And if we hadn't seen so much of him, he might be one of those guys you'd pick as a project for a couple of years. But right now, Jesus H. Christ, there's a hundred other guys on in every indie that you could probably get to make that contribution. Now, here is a separate column, Brian, of people that not only would I not keep them on my roster if I was running a wrestling company, but I want you to, as I mention each one of these names, try to offer an explanation as to why they would be under contract. I'm not even talking about being paid per night or book him whenever they need him every once in a while. I'm talking about under contract. These people apparently have been drawing a salary, right? Angelico. I don't know why he's currently under contract. I don't remember him on TV in a long time. Jack Evans was released already, or they let his contract expire already, I should specify. Maybe they're just waiting for his contract to run out. Brandon Cutlet. He's friends with the Young Bucks. He does the filming of their YouTube show when it's active. And he also, every now and then, has wrestled, and he's a part of their on-screen comedy troupe. And when he wrestles, he's a joke. Right, he's not and good when at he's it, part of their on-screen comedy troupe, he's a joke. Right. And this guy's getting paid to hold a video camera and shoot the fucking Hardly Boys YouTube show. Pizzeria Uno of the Dork Order. A pleather-clad potato with arms and legs. Well, remember, the Dark Order was an idea the Young Bucks originally had a lot of big plans for. It was their idea to do that beat-down angle that ended up being one of the most disastrous moments in Dynamite history, causing Tony Khan to take the reins, it's been said. He's a Young Bucks friend. They enjoyed working with his indie stuff on the indies. <clears throat> and the Dark Order is just wasting TV time in any way that they're used at this point. Fago Del Solo. There's no justification for him being under contract. You might argue with I mean, I mean, look, you might not. Well, see, that's, okay. where, that's where I'll hear from someone else like, oh, he's a really nice guy. That's the problem. Yes. There's a lot of people there who everyone will say, oh, he's a really nice guy. How could you say these things? Because there are certain wrestlers that shouldn't be under contract. There are nice people sleeping under bridges that also would be approximately as good or as valuable a contribution as a professional wrestler on the roster as Fago Del Solo. Even if you're a billionaire, you need fiscal restraint when it comes to all these contracts, especially when it, uh, I don't know why he's under contract. I'll just leave it at that. All right. You might argue with me on this with Danhausen. Danhausen. I'm not going to argue with the kids on Twitter. Like him. that's right. Tony, Whatever you want to say for good and for bad, Tony really listens to wrestling Twitter, wrestling message boards, and Danhausen became a thing. Look, we played him a lot on the show. We're partly responsible, if we're going to be honest. But we didn't, we didn't play his wrestling nor sign him to a contract to wrestle. But you see, the thing is, even if AEW signed him to a contract, you didn't have to use him this way. There's a way, I know it sounds crazy, but there's a way to use a character like that in a serious wrestling show, as long as you point out it's a character and then have something 
for them to do that has nothing to do with the wrestling. But, but that's not going to happen here because right. that would require, or in any case, because that would require Tony to see somebody and have an idea for them and make them the one thing that was a little wacky so it would get over before they get viral for three weeks on Twitter for flipping a pizza or jumping off the roof or putting a curse on somebody. And then he signs them for years at a time because they were popular on Twitter. Friends and jelly jelly fell off of something. Everybody put it on Twitter and he got a fucking job for three years. Nobody pay this guy to set up chairs, much less wrestle. But anyway, nevertheless, continuing explain why this would ever even happen. Pip Sabian fucking seriously. This guy has gotten paid not only for the rotten wrestling he did and his, childlike size and demeanor killing everything he comes in contact with and his goofy girlfriend and when Miro was their bodyguard but then they paid him for a year and a half to wander around the world wearing a cardboard box on his head and he he looks more professional that way than he does when he gets in the ring to wrestle I can't justify Kip Sabian being under contract right now I'm sure early on they saw him as a star with, or a future potential star. Remember, when AEW first started, he was programmed with a lot of those young guys. A couple of them broke out. Sammy broke out. Kip Sabian didn't. Now, with that said, I wouldn't keep him under contract. If we're going with the idea, and we'll get to this probably next episode, that AEW is going to have a women's division, I would keep Penelope Ford. Oh, you would. And I wonder how much of that goes into the decision to keep Kip Sabian from AEW. She, she uh, to me, is very borderline to begin with. It's not like she's good enough to fucking justify bringing another fucking dead weight along. I agree that she how many, should... How many, how many people is this lifeboat seat? I agree that she shouldn't justify having a second party under contract just because he's in a relationship with her. And I'm not even saying that's the reason, but I can't think of another reason why Kip Sabian, at this point in time, after all these years, would still be under contract. Luther! Hey, you didn't watch Kip Sabian's match with pack at the pay-per-view pre-show a few matches ago or a few shows ago the crowd was dead they didn't even care about any well, of this yeah. and they don't luther i already explained that to you Enough he's, fr- said. Yes, he's friends with chris jericho that. chris jericho but- soraya just did an interview i heard where she said i think it was her it was either she did an interview or jericho did an interview saying it but i think it was her saying that chris jericho was the one who pushed tony to hire me tony listens to chris jericho and it's usually not the Tony or AEW's benefit. Luther, I'd need to say no more. Luther, Jake Hager. I mean, look at how many people are Jericho hires that bring nothing. Well, yeah, but at least Jake Hager actually did something somewhere at some time. It just didn't have anything to yeah. do with wrestling. And the modern day Dick that. Hutton. The modern day Dick <laughs> Hutton. Name a worse world champion. Seriously, he was world oh, champion. Boy, perfect. Uh and then Luther. But uh, Mark Sterling. Cut, ah, fucking hell. Michael, knock a knock a knock a knock it to fuck off. I mean, that's uh, he's not even as good as Cutlet. Here's the question. Is his contract, he's on the wrestling roster page. I mean, that's what we're going off for this. But is his contract just to be Kenny's assistant and they he also wrestles? Or is it a wrestling, a wrestling contract and then... Is he paid separately to be Kenny's assistant? 
Well, I'm sure they they put him on a wrestling contract and pay him as a wrestler, even though he's not and he can't and he doesn't. And then they probably also, well, maybe Twinkle Toes kicks in something to, for him to do his stooge work, draw his bath and things, clip his toenails, whatever the case comes up. And then finally on the joke list, Cole, uh, two of them, Cole Cabana. Again, 15 years ago, he was hot on the indies, and now he's everybody's friend that never wrestled and collected a check for a long time and was at the center of a lot of controversy. And again, you're asking why. The reason why is Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks went to Tony when Tony was going to let his contract expire and insisted on him being brought back. He may lay claim to being the biggest freeloader in wrestling history at this point. And finally on the list, our little dog pockets. And you can say ratings all you want, or you can say merchandise all you want, but anytime you got this fucking asshole on a program, your promotion is a joke. Because you can't just you can't just do one joke segment and it doesn't turn your whole show into a joke that this guy's featured. What are your thoughts? And I want to ask you a question later on after all this about merchandise, but my other argument would be, and I think I made this. Even if you're a fan of Orange Cassidy, he's been on that TV show now over three years. Does he mean that much anymore? Look at what happens to the ratings when he's on. He doesn't pop the ratings anymore. It's the opposite. People tune out. That has to be paid attention to, despite how many shirts he may sell. And real briefly, that's the last column, except for one last column of people that we're getting rid of. And I've made a special column for self-trained trampoline cowboys, obnoxious do-it-yourselfers, cheerleaders, gymnasts, and egomaniacs that drag every opponent down to their level, can't be serious about anything, and should be exiled to Douchebag Island. Are you ready for this list? Twinkle Toes himself, Kenny Olivier. The California Raisins, Buckaroos number one and two. Hangnail Page. We've seen enough of Penthouse and Felix. It's the same thing every week for three years. Pack has proven himself incapable of figuring out how to have a match. Jungle Boy we've given up on because, my God, he's getting more boring. Dino Douche because until brain transplants become a thing, he's clueless. And finally on the list, Coo Jericho. The insurrectionist, so that we can get rid of the last bit of locker room poison and get everybody working together on the same page instead of prop one expired canned ham up. So that's where we're at. Any thoughts on those? I wouldn't bring Omega back, but it's not for the reasons you wouldn't. I wouldn't bring, if I'm looking at this like Tony Khan, like I'm running the company, I don't bring Omega back because there are other problems with Omega. Uh, that may or may not emerge publicly. And I think that would make me, as the business owner, want to get away. Because if he, if he does bring him back, he's just going to do those things again. And then he's going to be sitting there dealing with that again. People who are in a position they shouldn't be in behave in stupid ways because that's just who they are. And to be honest with you, too, if I'm at war with WWE, I know no one's going to agree with me on this. I would toss them Kenny Omega. Let that headache be in Paul Levesque's ear. There you go. Let him deal with that. I don't want to deal with it. Um, I wouldn't just toss Chris Jericho. I would give him an opportunity. I would say, 
Do you think you could try for six months or a year to come here and work and we're not going to do any of your ideas? We're not going to beat you. We're not going to toss you out. You're Chris Jericho. But for one year, let us book you. Let us do something different with you. Let us try to make you serious. If you feel you could do that, we want you on the team. If you feel like you could only do your ideas and you could only do the things you come up with, then maybe it's time to separate. That would be my attitude with Jericho. You're just cutting him. You're too dadgum reasonable. All right, I'll go for that too, but I don't know how to write that on my list. The Young Bucks, I agree with you about needing to clean out that locker room. The Young Bucks are great for friends of the Young Bucks. And quite frankly, we've seen since they've been gone that there's been no tangible difference to AEW's business. They weren't television draws, and a lot of the big pay-per-views were CM Punk. Again, Paul Levesque wants the Young Bucks? Go deal with that. Go deal with Again, I also have the option of just throwing all these people at Ring of Honor, because I own that, if I'm Tony Khan doing this. Luchasaurus? <clears throat> Did you cut Jungle Boy? Yes. Because I'm just tired of him just yeah, being no, no, I agree. boring. I, I Hang think dog. He's been there since the beginning. I think... This, see, this is, even if you didn't hate these people or hate the way they work, this is right here the example of where you wish there was another place to send people. Because even if you were a fan of Orange Cassidy or a Jungle Boy, get them off TV for a while and not just send them home and bring them back to do the same thing. Just go away for a long time somewhere else. Uh, the rest of your list, I think I'm okay with. I'm the keeps and the not keeps, there may be some differences, but. All right. Well, where where did we end up in the M's last time? Did we finish the M's? We ended up with N, but actually, apparently, there was one name added to the list. Uh oh. After we recorded, because previously Jungle Boy was next to John Moxley, and now, as several people have pointed out, Jim, the technical beast, Josh Woods. The technical beast. Josh Woods, I actually know I have met Josh Woods because he was the opponent for Dan Severn when I managed Dan at WrestleCade uh, Thanksgiving weekend. What was it? 2017 in my last official match as a manager at ringside. And Josh it was against was him? Just, wow. Yes. He, well, he's an ex-MMA guy. And he was just starting out, and he was green, but he he's a legitimate athlete. And I haven't seen him since, so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Even if he's still green, let's put him in there with the list of people that we could probably use as a project for the future, and we'll see what happens. Jim, what about Ortiz? Boy, oh boy. Um. Well, now it's public knowledge, and... I guess Conan has even confirmed it that Santana and Ortiz do not speak to each other and are pissed at each other. So that split up that tag team. That's right. You have to look at him as a separate entity now. A lot of people here, a lot of names. I don't have anything against him, but they were featured barely as a tag. They were featured a lot as a tag team, but you barely saw them have tag team matches. And then you didn't see him for a long time. We haven't seen him for a long time since they shaved his head on television. And then he just was a bald-headed fucking mooch walking around. They did nothing with him after that. Just left him with a dick in hand. So I think 
poor RT Ortiz may uh may have to go. Jim, what about Parker Boudreaux of the Trustbusters? Okay, he was a guy from WWE Developmental that for whatever reason they had high hopes for to begin with and then cut unexpectedly and he showed up there and we haven't seen him since, right? Well, he's apparently been on their YouTube show, and I think we did see him well, once that, or twice in a backstage promo. I don't think we've seen him have a match or anything. That's what I'm saying. I, I, you know, they've got 150 or whatever fucking wrestlers, at least male wrestlers. Plus, if they're not on television, they're not serious about having that talent in the company. It's either, oh, shit, I've signed them and I've got to use them, or, you know, maybe we'll do something with them later, but... I've signed them or whatever, but if they're not on the fucking television program, they're not integral to the success of this company. I don't know enough about the guy because we've never seen him do anything. So do we have another column for who the fuck is this guy? Sure. Who the fuck is this guy? Who the fuck? Well, Jim, I know someone that you do know, and that is Paul White. Well, they signed him to be an announcer, right? On the Friday night show. Or was that Mark Henry? He was going to be, because. No, he was going to be an was, announcer on the YouTube show with Tony Schiavone. That's right. Show. And I guess, is he still doing that? I don't know. And he had one match, but I understand he's also, he's had some health issues and had to have some surgeries. I don't expect them to have big show wrestling. But it seems like that if they're doing a ticket on sale and you need somebody that's being, I assume, highly paid for the on-sale date celebration or to do local news or television radio or publicity or potentially give his insights since he's worked with every goddamn major star, put him down in the coach category. Uh, But apparently they've, Tony thought it was a great idea to sign him, and we haven't seen him since. Powerhouse Hobbs. Oh, good Lord. Yes, keep Powerhouse Hobbs in the keep column, the good guys. Again, you know, anybody would have run with that horse a long time ago. So, yes, he's a keeper. Preston Vance of the Dark Order. He's the one... He's another one that wore a mask and had Sharpie marks on him, but is he the big jacked up one? That's him, yes. Okay. Number number 10. Let's put him on the fence list until he would actually have a match barefaced with a quality opponent at some point that we might see to determine whether he's worth a shit or not or just another interchangeable job guy with Sharpie marks on his chest and a good body. What about pretty Peter Avalon? (laughs) Okay, where's our joke list? He goes under... Seriously, what the fuck? Librarians that shushed each other. And then, of course, it got catching, and Chad Gable ended up shushing people. I don't... I I wish that all the years that I had heat with the fans, the worst thing they ever did to me was shush me. It would have saved me lawsuits and fucking police reports. Um, no, this, he looks, he looks like one of the weasels that would be in the corner of a seventies porn movie that wouldn't actually be participating, but would just kind of be 
like a, in a crowd scene. He's like 140 pounds and fucking, you know, maybe he'd be a good partner for the pizza flipping guy. We'll see what happens there. But Jim, what about QT Marshall of the factory? <sighs> you know, I hired QT one time in Ring of Honor. Ten years ago, we thought he might be a, uh, <clears throat> a nice little prospect, and he was a good worker and had good size, and now he's gotten close enough, or he got close enough to Cody and Dustin that he's teaching the wrestling school, okay, but then he also gets on television, and uh, every time I see him wrestle, he's wrapped up in showing people that he can do flips and handstands at his size which is sending the wrong message to the kids. And now we understand that QT, and I'm not knocking him as a person, but is the guy that talks to Tony to time the, write out the TV format from Tony's notes and help time it and all that stuff. Which is like me bopping up to the cockpit and asking the fucking Delta pilot if he needs any help with the, uh, navigational system so i i'd have to put qt over on the fence until we determined if he wanted to you know if, if there was something that we could do with qt to take advantage of the time that he's been there but not put him on tv for goofy matches where he gets the shit kicked out of him in four minutes after he flips and or running around with a bunch of other job guys. Do you think AEW has too many goofy stables and comedy-like yes. characters that as soon as they walk out, it just destroys the morale of the viewer? Yes. That's why we're trying to get rid of most of that. What about Ricky Starks? And Starks goes back to the keep column, except I'd, at this point, I'm wondering is something amiss? They broke his neck on TV when whoever it was, German suplexed him, landed on his head. He was off for a while, comes back. He and Hobbs are pretty good together. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Hobbs fucking jumps him from behind and kicks the shit out of him. Starks comes back for revenge on pay-per-view, and Hobbs beats him in eight minutes flat and not really exciting. We saw him do something else, but then where has he been? Uh, we They haven't reported that he got in a backstage fight with anybody. So I'm wondering, is is his neck bothering him? Was it worse than they thought? Why would you... Because didn't Hobbs beat him flat on pay-per-view and then they had a rematch and he just kind of beat him flat again? The pay-per-view match was the bizarre one because it was like six or seven minutes. Yeah. And then he just beat him. And it was kind of... They were heating it up in the weeks leading up to the pay-per-view. And then that happened. You know, I think with Starks, two things. One, he's a guy who would benefit from being away for a little bit and brought back because the people were into him. It's just he's been booked so poorly that you got to do something different. But you know what really hurt him, I think? He's one of the guys that were hurt by the lessening of the influence of Cody. He was yeah. a guy that if Cody was there, Starks would be used better right now. Yeah, you, you know what? That makes perfect sense. And maybe Hobbs, too, for that matter, because didn't he train at the Nightmare Association or whatever? Jim, what about El Toro Blanco, Roosh? Uh, can we rush him on out, please? Because, uh, again, uh, just, you know, and 
If we were running a promotion in the country of Mexico and South America, Latin American countries, whatever the case, then yes, Felix and Penthouse and Rush and everybody, but they can't have an American-style match. At least the top Lucha guys in days gone by could come to America and work with the guys, but they expect to have Lucha matches, which <laughs> appeals to the same group that likes the fucking hardly boys matches just gymnasts and want to be male cheerleaders it's it's the same kind of we need to get that out of a serious wrestling promotion what about the spanish god sammy guevara of the jericho appreciation society boy howdy you know it do we put him down yes keep but listen and learn can he listen and will he learn is he going to instigate sooner or later everybody in the locker room to come up and slap him in that slappable face? He's a he's a good heel, a great heel at, at making the crowd dislike him. He actually even made the crowd dislike him when they had liked him and they didn't turn him on camera. He just got together with Ty Conti Mello and... Uh, <sighs> But at the same time, he appears to be, be an ego problem or an attitude problem or something else by running his mouth, the thing with Andre. What do you do? What do you do with a problem like Sammy, Brian? I don't know because he's incredibly talented and I don't think he's been used properly. He keeps going back to the flunky role. But you kind of have to have a talk with him and say, if you think you can behave yourself and stay off social media, we're cool. But if you're going to make things worse, we got a problem. So we'll fence him. Because yeah, that might be a little more than just listen and learn. But I get him away from Jericho. I actually, for the first time, say, okay, we're going to give you six months away from Jericho. We're going to do something with you. It's make or break. Let's see if this works. Because he's not getting any younger. Does he, does he keep Ty Melo Conti with him? If you want him as a that, heel? Yeah. That beautiful bitch face that just instantly you dislike it if you want him as a heel yes but jim what do you do with samoa joe oh ring, my ring of honor world tv champion by the way well and as and we did preface uh the part one of this by saying we they uh had the ring the uh aew champions at the top of the list so we'd already gone over a few people that weren't in alphabetical order that had belts but obviously. And, and listen, you're talking to the person that fucking kept Ring of Honor in business. I wouldn't worry about Ring of Honor right now. He's got bigger fucking problems, does Tony Khan. I appreciate that he bought the intellectual property and the tape library and et cetera, but you can't get a second promotion over on your television from scratch while still trying to get your own promotion over and struggling to do that. Because he's still at about 30% of the audience of his number one competitor. But specifically to Samoa Joe. To Samoa Joe, yes, we keep him. Because, again, he's not as young as he used to be, but he's of the modern generation. He's entirely believable in his work when he's motivated. His demeanor and his fucking promo is uh, without question. And if you give him something to do that he can sink his teeth into and he plies himself, he excels. It's, he 
when he's wandering around aimlessly is when he just sometimes shows up and does and goes. Cause what the fuck? But he's another guy that could have been concentrated on at the begin beginning when he first came in and already might be involved in something people want to see. Not a tag team with the other big guy that you couldn't figure out what to do with either. What would you do with Santana? E. Now we're it's down to numbers at this point. What does I know they say Santana is more um ambitious and uh, that was a story that Ortiz was fine with just sitting and taking his check and his contract. They weren't using him so what Santana was goddamn wanting to be used or wanting to be able to prove himself or wanting to work, which is admirable. But they obviously ain't going to let him do it there because we never see him. So they're probably just grumpy that he complained. But at the same time, you know, with right now, what do you do? He's been there forever as a team. Had very few single matches. We haven't seen him as a team in goddamn ages. A lot of people on this list. I think Santana may have to go away for a while. He has been away for a while. He got hurt in that steel cage in the uh, war games match. Oh yeah, and they, they hurt him in the fucking war games. That's why we haven't said well. <laughs> and they're paying him. Oh, Doesn't that give you a chance now to bring him back as a single? He's going to be off TV for a while, nursing his knee injury or whatever it was. He was in good shape, and he got into better shape as AEW went on. All right, then then let's bring him back. Let's bring him back and start him out as a single from scratch and actually let him swim or, swim or fall or sink or drown or whatever the fuck under his own merits. What about Satnam Singh? Oh, good Lord. Um, now, we don't have a giant other than Paul White. And you still don't. Because not that... It, it, if he was able to do anything that wasn't embarrassing, wouldn't they have had him do something besides wear a suit to make him look like a normal motherfucker, except with a giant pinhead? He never does anything physical, except every once in a while he'll shove somebody. That right there should tell you something. He looks visual. He doesn't look visually frightening. He looks visually comedic. With, what with the fact that he's able to get a haircut with a pencil sharpener? No, for the same reason that it, it put him with almost somewhere and let them go to the land of the giants. He's gone. He's done. I don't care how many people there are in India. If I'm running a wrestling promotion, I plan to sell enough tickets to the United States. We don't have to go to fucking India. Jim Scorpio Sky. Is he still there? I believe he's injured as well. But he also, Wait, I believe, I believe before he got injured, they announced he signed an extension. Oh, good lord! Um, good athlete, experienced worker. He was a heel with Lambert. He was a babyface. Had not a lot of personality. I was a fan of his at the start. Again, there's a lot of numbers here. You could have fence. Let's put him on the fence. You could have a guy come in and out. But at this point, we're getting a lot of supporting cast members and we're still real sparse on guys you would push to the main event well someone who i believe has just been named an agent from what i heard oh boy from the chaos project serpentico oh god damn what i believe i did read that let me double check on that an agent what is it <sighs> 
All right, well, this is another guy that's interchangeable with Fago Del Solo and was Angelico. Um, yeah, they're working. Him and Luther are, according to Fightful Selects, or Pentago and Luther are working as coaches now. Well, good. Hopefully, it's how to play gin rummy. They might be good at that. But no, a small, skinny, masked guy. He goes in the joke category. Not only do you want to get rid of him, but it's laughable that the guy had a contract with a national television promotion. Continue. Captain Sean Dean. Shit. There was a guy by that name there a long time ago, wasn't there? Well, he's still there, and I believe, uh, and actually I know this because we received several questions about something he tweeted this week. He is the guy who books a lot of the undercard talent for AEW's live events. Oh, good Lord. Okay, then he's done. Uh, cause that's fucking embarrassing. Captain Sean Dean put him on the toss list just for his fucking taste and goddamn job guys. What about the chairman, Sean Spears? Boy, howdy. What? Is he related to Uncle Howdy? I, I, he must be related to somebody. Cause why did he get this job? Well, he got, he was friends with Cody, right? He was friends with Cody. If you remember, the first thing he did was turn on Cody and bust his head open with that chair shot early on. Yeah. And, and he's then been... he didn't do a lot after that. You know what the problem is? He's a guy like Scorpio Sky, who I'm not a fan of, and I wouldn't keep on my roster. And I think a lot of that comes down to an athletic, talented guy being booked poorly for an extended period of time. Whatever Sean Spears is or was or was an NXT Whatever that is, in AEW, he was not used that way. So it's hard it's hard to justify the contract for a person that has established themselves in a certain way with the fans because of how they were booked. And I agree with you, and, and uh, Sean has been relocated. What about Sanjay Dutt? Boy, you know, again, Sanjay apparently enjoys being on camera and doing the pencil thing and the the kind of manager parody thing. He's worked in the office in impact and he was a high level assistant to Jeff Jarrett and global force. He's good with office work, details, communicating with guys. He's an intelligent guy. He's had experience around the wrestling business. He likes to get from what I've seen on this program to playful like the rest of them. It's catching. Sometimes there's Stockholm Syndrome. And he was a, a, a wrestler at one point. I'm not sure how old he is now, but I would have to think 40-ish because I worked with him in TNA 15 years ago. As long as his head is has not been corrupted by the California contingent or whatever, and he wants to just do a bunch of play wrestling, I'd make him one of the coaches, agents, producers. You wouldn't see him on television, but he's proven in several places that he can, that he has the responsibility to do office work. But not a fan of the whole thing with him and Jay and Zippy, the pinhead. Jim, what about the Concrete Rose, Sunny Kiss? What, still? Seriously still getting paid. Um, Jesus Christ. Yes, joke column. Sunny kiss. There we go. No more needs to be said. Good Lord. What about Sting? 
Ooh, I forgot Sting's still there. Yes, you keep Sting. The way you try to figure out what has motivated Sting to dive off the balcony at 62 years of age for these fucking cretins. But yeah, you know, Sting is, he's a name. He's a legend. He's an icon. And if you played to that strength instead of trying to make him one of the boys and just show up when it, it, it snows in Florida and here he comes, two pay-per-views a year, he would make you his salary back and more in some kind of feature match, not the main event, but a feature match. And then you make the people hungry for it again because it doesn't happen for another six months. He'd pay for himself two matches a year on pay-per-view and television appearances to shoot angles and promote. Stokely Hathaway. Well, there needs to be a manager column now. And, yeah, and by the way, he's on the wrestling roster side of uh, their website here. Well, so let's let's make a manager. We've got uh, the refs. We've got the announcers. We've got the who the fuck is this guy column. Let's make a manager column. I guess Mark Sterling would go there too. No, he wouldn't because we've already got rid of him. Stokely Hathaway would go in the manager column because he can be saved. So that's your opinion. You're going to say yes, him. yes. What about he's 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 good if he had something to work with and something to do. What about Swerve Strickland of Swerve in Our Glory? Swerve, we got to keep Swerve. Swerve has a look, and Swerve can work a bit, and Swerve can talk a bit, and I think Keith Lee might be Keith Albatross around his neck. But we had Keith Lee on the listen and learn list, so we're keeping Swerve. Of course, this roster page is in alphabetical order, following Swerve Strickland, the Blade. <laughs> Boy, for people trying to, all three of them trying to find Blade on the roster, they're <laughs> completely puzzled. No, let's let's uh, say goodbye to the Blade because Blade has been, again, been there, done almost nothing. Years. Once again, in alphabetical order, next is the Butcher. Well, Butcher can join him. That's a guy that if he had been used better from the beginning, maybe the only good thing they ever did with him in a sense, even though it didn't make much sense, was the beginning angle where he popped out of the ring. He had a look. He had some size. We had never heard him speak. And he's been used like a jobber ever since. But he had a look. He actually did have an interesting look. And at one point, a monocle, right? That's right. That was the best thing about him. That was the best thing. Yeah. Nah, not now. Premier athlete, Tony Nice. Good. Again, you know, we had Tony Nice at a Ring of Honor tryout camp. I'm going to say in like 2009-ish, 10-ish, something like that. Good kid, good athlete. Uh, you know, they they said he was a hot free agent. They said he's a premier athlete. He showed up in AEW. I think he has had had one television match on Dynamite, and then he runs around accompanying Mark Sterling. I think there's right now any one of a hundred guys floating around the wrestling business that could do what he's done. And we haven't got a chance to see if he can do anything else. So Tony has to go away for a while. This is a, these are numbers of fucking people. My God, that it, all these people are getting paid salaries. Hey, listen, there's a lot of people, I think, not on this page. 
that are getting paid salaries too. This is only what they publicly put on their page. What about Trent Beretta of Best Friends? Yeah, see how quick we can get rid of him. I mean, it, it, as a whole, if you'd never seen him before, he's got a good body and he's a smooth worker and he's certainly not main event material, but, you know, he's he could do something if it hadn't been he's, his partner is Muffin Top. Uh, his mother picked him up in a minivan and killed any seriousness or credibility that you could ever have with this guy. Then he got badly injured doing all the stupid shit they do. And then he's been there sometimes and gone most. And who gives a shit? And the best friends are poison to anybody that would want to run a legitimate wrestling promotion. That is the most indie-rific fucking bunch of bullshit. And they've been doing it since the start, because at least three years ago, these assholes were actually over on indie shows in front of 500 people. Now, who the fuck is talking about the best friends? Got to give the people what they want. Give them their notice. Yeah, they're hanging on the fumes of Orange Cassidy, who means less today to the ironic wrestling fan than he did three years ago. So what does that tell you about them? We'll talk about the ratings a little bit later. Jim, almost at the end of the male roster, Wheeler Yuta of Blackpool Combat Club. Again, if they had brought him in and said, okay, maybe he'll get a personality, maybe he'll get a look, maybe he'll put on some size, we'll work on it for three or four years from down the road, that'd been one thing. They've brought him in and given him a push that Powerhouse Hobbs would be challenging for the goddamn world championship tomorrow if he'd gotten. And... eh, so, eh, 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 I, I, eh. William Regal. Again, Regal, not only should be, should be, should he be in the coach's column and the trainer column, he should be the goddamn commissioner column. He should be the commissioner column. He should be the guy to come out and impart statements to the fans on behalf of the company. If a match needs made or a match needs changed or somebody's fucking injured and can't show up or an angle needs to be done and the company's opinion needs to be figured into it, that's the fucking guy. The boys respect him. The fans love him. He's had 25 fucking 30 years, however long, on television. He can talk. He has a wrestling background that taught him how to make this shit sound logical and plausible when he's in that kind of environment. So yes, he would be not only one of the co- the main trainer, the head of the training program probably, and a coach, agent, producer, whatever, and also the commissioner. If you were in a position of a Tony Khan or if you were running your own wrestling company, Do you have any reluctance about hiring someone who you know is very close to your competitor? Because we know Triple H and William Regal have a long-standing, close relationship. That's why he was in NXT for all those years. He wasn't a Vince guy. Any reluctance to hire someone with that sort of relationship? Well, by the same token, they didn't have a lot of reluctance to let that guy go. And I know things have changed now, but... Then you've got to be a judge of character. And I don't think that William Regal is the kind of guy to say, oh, now that my friend is back in charge at the other company, I'm going to 
funnel him information, do everything I can to stab this guy in the back. Maybe somebody else would. Probably a lot of people on this roster would. I don't know that Regal would. I think he'll do his job to the best of his ability. And I think if if he did want to leave and go somewhere, he'd probably ask Tony. But how long has he signed for? A year or two? He's already been there a while. So I would think he'd be the kind of guy that would, even if he had the opportunity, he'd fulfill his commitment and then go back if he wanted to when that was up. But, I mean, again, they didn't do this with him when he was fired by the other guy and needed a job. They didn't bring him in and do the right thing with him to begin with that I just said, because Tony can't not come out and every once in a while on TV and or make the statements and or run the media scrum and order his action figures around. But he, Regal would have been perfect face of that. Jim, that's the end of the male roster. And like I said, we're not going to do, do the female roster today. But can I hit you with the announcers and referees? Sure. The broadcast team. And boy, what a collection of photos this is. Alex Marvez. Immediately he's gone. I mean, he's a lovely person. He belongs on. He is too. Wrestling broadcasting, what Stephen Hawking is to Olympic pole vaulting. Alex Abrahantes. He's back over with uh, Andrade uh, being his spokesperson. Yeah, I don't know why he's on the, I guess he's one of the Spanish commentators, but he's the only one listed on the broadcast team list. Here's someone we haven't seen in a while who I thought was the most talented backstage interviewer and the best ring announcer they had. Dasha Gonzalez. I couldn't, if you held a gun to me right now, I couldn't tell you whether she's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't even know what she looks like. I, I gloss over a lot of those backstage segments. Excalibur. He's gone. Well, we're going to put that in the joke category. A nobody who was a professional wrestler because he was one of the people running the show that was friends with the California Raisins that 20 years later becomes a national television announcer because he used to do VHS in his basement for the pro wrestling chimpanzee crowd. So where, where's my joke list? Excrement. It's one of those things where the people that love him, I don't think, understand how counterproductive he is to getting people to actually be interested in your show because of the style of commentating beyond the mask but nothing if nothing else distracting markish style of commentary and visually distracting from the product because everybody's going who the fuck is this guy who does he think he was why is he wearing a mask jim ross you know that's a tough one now for me because at one point I had said, you know, a few weeks back, why do Tony needs help? Why doesn't he get Jim Ross to intercede in some of these talent relations issues? And if people go, well, Jim Ross at 70 years old or what, he doesn't want to do that. I wasn't saying hire Jim Ross to be the head of talent relations from now until the end of time. I was saying, sit him, give him enough money to sit down with all the offended parties on your roster and figure out a way to make amends with everybody as best they can and move forward or figure out who's not going to 
JR's experienced at that. And then as I've thought about it, it still may hold true. Why the fuck would he want to? Because 25 years ago, he was mediating the childish, immature issues of guys that were drawing a shit ton of money and making a shit ton of money for everybody. And it still aged him before his time. And now with these children, and most of them don't even know how to fucking draw money or why they might be if they are, and have no concept of the business they're in, I don't think he'd want to do that for any amount of money. And I'm starting to think maybe the same thing. Is he just tired of watching this endless parade of shit? He was unmotivated on dynamite and now they've switched him over to rampage which he's the biggest name announcer in the wrestling business currently anywhere and on a show that the one show on national cable that nobody watches does he give a fuck at this point is he tired of looking at this shit it's so i don't know is ian riccaboni on the announce roster yet or do they just bring him in like a hired hand no ian no caprice coleman no bobby cruz okay well ian riccaboni would be my lead announcer on my flagship show so i'm gonna write him down even though he's not on there because it's not my fault that tony doesn't know how to hire announcers unless he watched them when he was 12 um no we don't we don't need uh and tony shivani interviewer love it we've talked about that what's he doing on commentary he doesn't even know what's going on in front of him oh i'm really digging this this is great this is great stuff i'm having a great time here this is fun because he was away from it for 20 years and he thinks it's all a joke now he just gets a tickle out of all the stupid shit they do in front of him but uh but i would keep him as an announcer or as a an interviewer and let him interview people he's done real sports so who um Justin Roberts God damn if you know he's not a bad ring announcer if he could gear that goddamn John Moxley and Kenny Olave and the stuff down you know I'd give him another chance but boy howdy he'd be off my show right away what about interviewer Lexi Nair I don't know who she is or what she's done or what so well, as a matter of fact, you know, now that I've backed up on, I, I, you mentioned Bobby Cruz, who's not on the list, but let's put Bobby Cruz down as a ring announcer, and then we don't need Justin Roberts. Renee Paquette. You mean the second coming of Barbara Wawa? <laughs> well, that really is the way some wrestling fans react to the interviewer who asks one question and stands there. I mean, I assume that she comes with Moxley. And I'm not talking about in a romantic sense. I'm talking about the package of the new contract he just signed. I mean, you know, on her own, from what I've seen, pretty much anybody could do what she's done. So I don't see any reason to hire her, except if it's to get the noted star plumber Moxley. That's the thing, because the role of the backstage interviewer means really nothing in AEW. We've seen, I mean, look, they use Marvez. It's an interchangeable group of people. I think Renee Paquette is an upgrade over Shivani as the interviewer. However, I think Lexi Nair 
is cheaper than both of them and is just fine at the job. So if we're looking at it in terms of being responsible and doing something that won't take away from anything on the show, I would get rid of, again, they just signed him and not going to, I would get rid of Shivani and Renee, but can't just use Lexi Nair. Okay, well, let's do that then, because here's the thing. The ring announcer, it doesn't really make a fuck. So Bobby Cruz, he's elderly like me. But then you have Lexi, a young female backstage interviewer. You have Ian Riccoboni, a young play-by-play guy that's serious about his business, and it does a great job. You get Caprice in there for color, and he's he's not a spring chicken, but he looks younger than he is, and he's got his own style, and it's not insulting or abrasive. And you got a nice new hip-looking commentary team instead of the over-the-hill gang that's either not motivated or just disgusted at what they're, or just laughing at everything, both because Tony thinks it's funny and JR thinks it's ridiculous. How many matches have degenerated into Excalibur and Tony Schiavone just laughing at what they're watching? The lead commentators on this show just laughing at what they're watching. One more guy on the list you forgot, Taz. Oh, and Taz is in there as the ex-jock, you know, color analyst who can speak from experience. And then we had already put Mark Henry down because they signed him and we couldn't figure out why we never see him and what the fuck he might. They signed him as an announcer, so let's see what happens. Jim, let's quickly do the referees. Oh, yeah, quickly. Aubrey Edwards. Okay, see ya, Aubrey. Too distracting, too obnoxious, and she keeps doing those copyright strikes to take our favorite botches clips down. Did you see that video? The I know you did, because you didn't want to tell me about it now that I think yeah, about it. Yeah, so her dancing in the <laughs> ring, like a, like a wacky, waving arm, inflatable tube woman. Like olive oil. Well, yeah, and the, 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 the clip of her actually dancing in the ring at some outlaw show somewhere, and she's refereeing while doing this bizarre interpretive jazz dance while the wrestling's going on and they interspersed it with clips of olive oil from a fucking 1930s Max Fleischer Popeye cartoon and you couldn't tell the difference Bryce Remsburg you know I've I've worked with Bryce before and he's he he was a serious quality referee he just all these referees look like complete dicks because the talent buries them constantly. So I would give Bryce a chance to do his job that he used to be able to do when he was working with responsible professionals instead of fucking jack-off artists. The referee that I must admit every time I see, I think, boy, that Hebner looks like AJ Styles, and he's not a Hebner at all. Mike Posey. Mike Posey. Uh, again, you know, nothing to matter with him. He's a, actually was a wrestler from Georgia and he's painfully small as a wrestler, but as a referee, he's nice guy. He's energetic. Again, if the talent is being told to have professional matches and not bury the referee, he could do a fine job. Paul Turner. Paul Turner, actually, of... Everybody they've got is probably the most experienced and did a great job in Ring of Honor when he wasn't being buried every five seconds and made to look like a complete dipshit by the talent. I'd keep Paul Turner. 
Rick Knox. How fast can we get him on the boat with Aubrey? And of course, actually, he should be put in with the trampoline cowboy group because he that's the reason why that's he's the only reason job. he's there. That's the only reason he's there. The worst referee in wrestling who's never done anything anywhere except for pro wrestling chimpanzee, but he's friends with the Cucamonga kids. The worst referee. And finally, Stefan Smith. Who? I'm not too familiar with him, to be honest with you, but uh, he's on their list. And the fact that you haven't, the fact that you don't know who he is, I guess it means he's doing a good job. Well, I can't fire him if I don't know who he is. But if a referee's not noticed, maybe he's doing a good job, is my point. No, I think if his name's never been heard, he's probably not doing that good a job. Well, Jim, that is the rest of the male roster, as well as the broadcast team and referees for AEW. That is, we've easily gone from 70, what I say, four or five or whatever at the start. We've easily gone to 125 names and haven't even got to the women. And there's literally, regardless of what you think about wrestling, there are almost two dozen names on this list that nobody could make a case for that you would ever hire these people for an ongoing multi-year contract at a regular salary if you were running a wrestling company. Well, Jim, after <sighs> reading through a list like that in my beaten down COVID-like state that I'm in right now, I'm thinking about a nice meal, a nice healthy meal. And thankfully, we could tell the listeners about a wonderful service where you can get a fresh chef-crafted meal sent directly to you, never frozen. And boy, I'll tell you what, maybe you should have been eating more of these meals from our fine friends at Factor and your your immune system wouldn't be run down so bad. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have got that delivery Indian food and had that Dalmatian puree that made you go to Europe all night. Oh, it's gonna happen again if you keep talking like this. Oh well, I'm telling you, you cannot eat Dalmatian unless it's well done. That's just a rule of thumb. But folks, I'll tell you. Fall is officially here, but we're always busy. And we've always got too much to do and not enough time to do it in. And if you get sick of the same old routine, calling the Uber Eats or just eating slop that you throw together at the last minute, you're not doing yourself justice, folks. You got to keep in, in better health, in better condition. And the folks at Factored have not only ready to eat meal delivery, but these things are put together by nutritionists. They're nutritionist concocted meals, and chefs have crafted them. So if you're into cooking chef-crafted concocted food at home, the folks at Factor have you covered. And there's let's just go down their copy here, because there's so many choices, so much stuff you can get. Stacy, for example, got the keto-friendly meals. And she loves that. I like anything with meat in it. But they've got vegan and veggie. Or is it vegan and veggie? Vegan and veggie options. You vegan can and veggie. Well, same thing. You ain't getting a lot of meat in those. But if that's the kind of thing you like, for those kind of people, that's the kind of thing they like. And these are fresh, never frozen meals. You can heat them up in just a couple of minutes. Right now, you can savor the harvest season with Factor's Pumpkin Feast for two, featuring fall's most craved flavor, pumpkin. And it's a ready-to-eat bundle that helps you make the most of the autumn with a full spread that feeds two. So it can be date night, or just if you're a, a fucking greedy pig, you can eat both portions yourself. 
And these these pumpkins are huge. They'll actually deliver you. It's like a 25 or a 30-pound pumpkin. And they give you a two-night. Yeah. For two. No. You're not not just going to have a little puny pumpkin. They bring you like a 30-pound pumpkin, two knives, two forks, and two napkins, and say, all right, go to town. This and then this what? started with you actually reading the copy, and then yes. I don't even know how you got here. They don't give you two giant pumpkins and silverware to cut it with. Well, what's the pumpkin feast for two? It's a wonderful chef-crafted meal for two. With pumpkin flavors. They don't send you a giant 30-pound pumpkin, though. Well, I thought because for two people. Nevertheless. How much do you think the shipping for that would be? Well, they're they're taking care of that when you buy the stuff, you know, because they're they're like that. But hold on now, there's more. They've got a rotating menu. And if you stick your hand in and grab something, if you grab the right thing, sometimes it's tricky. It goes by real fast, that rotating menu. But you can have seasonal favorites like three bean vegan chili, the apple mustard pork chop. And I didn't think I was going to like mustard made out of apples, but I did. Apple mustard pork chop, the Tuscan tomato chicken. You can put those in your rotation. They offer 30-plus meals a week, 36-plus add-on options. You got smoothies, juices, snacks, no matter what you, protein. They'll give you all kinds of protein. You can just buy a big package of protein. It's amazing. Factor is cheaper than takeout. They've got ingredients with integrity. These ingredients will never lie to you or cause you strife or trouble in your life. They've got integrity. And if you get busy, let's say, for example, you have to work late some nights, or let's say, for example, you have to go to work early, or let's say, for example, your wife takes the children and and leaves and moves to Washington State to be with the pool boy. What? Well, you can change your order up with plans from four to 18 meals a week. So whichever members of your family haven't deserted you yet, you can feed them, or you can pause and reschedule in case they've gotten the fuck out. And they've got the Protein Plus, they got the Keto Meals, Calorie Smart, all kinds of dietitian approved, and it'll save you time. You put it right in the microwave, if you don't want to use the oven, just hit the button, and f- the radioactivity is kept to a minimum. And There folks, is no, again, will you stop radioactivity? Well, you know, in the microwave, something, in you know. In the microwave. Anyway, right now, this is going to be confusing, folks. You can head to go.factor75.com slash JCE60 and use the code JCE60. You're going to get 60% off your first box of Factor. I'm telling you, you factor this into your life, folks. You're going to be not only eating well, but you'll be, you'll eat like a rich millionaire. You'll be farting through silk. Head to go. G-O, go.factor75.com slash J-C-E and use the code J-C-E to get 60% off your first box of Factor. Mmm, you'll be eating good no matter what your neighborhood. All right, Jim, well, let's get to some topics and questions. And I mentioned something I wanted to ask you about earlier when you brought up Orange Cassidy. And it's something I've thought about with him recently with Bray Wyatt because there have been reports that WWE is ecstatic over the sales of Bray Wyatt merchandise since his return, which has been a series of vignettes, a promo or two, 
You have no idea what he's talking about, where this is going. It's all just spooky mysticism. But it moves a lot of merch. I believe Alexa Bliss, when she was demonized or whatever the hell was going on with her, sold a lot of merch. You hated The Ultimate Warrior. When I was a kid, I loved The Ultimate Warrior. Sold a ton of merch. Sold a lot of merch. This has been used as a justification over time, not just recently, but over time to justify people that were pushed, the tone of the wrestling show, the direction, the characters. So with this idea that an Orange Cassidy was used the way he was for so long because he was a major merch mover for AEW, or that Bray Wyatt moves a ton of merch so they put up with all of this, where's the line? You know, you brought up cows being lost on the road before. If WWE just started showing cows on TV for no reason, (laughs) and they just started releasing shirts that say the no reason cows, and they sold, (laughs) does that justify it being on TV? At what point is there a legitimate justification because of the merch sales? And at what point do you have to say what sells may not be necessarily what's going to help us with the overall product going forward? Brian... You know what you call a herd of masturbating cattle? I do not. Beef stroking off. But I'll tell you, the thing is, those people you mentioned are different, even though they are presented as examples of people who sold a lot of merchandise with maybe a somewhat looser wrestling connection. With the Ultimate Warrior... He was at least presented as the guy. And that was a whole nother indictment of Vince's system. And that's, I think, probably what led to the wrestling unpopularity boom of the early 90s. Because WCW on one channel is just a rotten product with horrible leadership. And... On the other channel, they've gone from Hulk Hogan, who said his prayers and took his vitamins, but God, he was over, and he had fucking matches that, you know, with the top stars of the day, and people remember, but that Warrior came in and just, he was a complete smoke and mirrors promotional creation with no talent for his chosen profession, except... He looked great and had a bodybuilding fanatic that was the biggest promoter in the world was going to smash him over. And of course, he's going to sell a ton of merchandise because he looked great. He looked like a kid's superhero. Just the adults couldn't fucking stomach him. But he still, again, was the guy, was pushed on top. May indict the quality of the matches or whatever the case, but he was the top guy. With Bray Wyatt... They're trying to make him, if not the top, one of the top guys. And down there, even, and he's not like Warrior. He can talk. It's how he applies it sometimes that we not necessarily, we understand. He can talk and he's, he can work infinitely better than the Ultimate Warrior, even if nobody thinks he's a great worker. The bar was set so low with Warrior that you can't deny that anybody is a better worker than the Ultimate Warrior. And he's, as I said, figured in on top. So he's selling merchandise. If if the guy behind that, if we can get away from the teleportation and going into spooky dimensions where puppets come alive and being burned alive and all that stuff, if he can just be a spooky wrestler, 
then, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I'm willing to buy that and work with that. When you get down to Alexa Bliss was selling merchandise, let's face it, not only because of that gimmick and it aligned her with another merchandise seller, but because a significant portion, as we've learned by looking at Twitter and the internet, a significant portion of the WWE fan base that likes the women wrestlers are the guys that put their favorite women's wrestler picture as their profile on Twitter or have some kind of name in their handle, I love Lexi, why don't you, or whatever the case. And that's the audience for that merchandise. If it, you know, I don't think that Alexa Bliss should have been vomiting, you know, Linda Blair's fucking pea soup from The Exorcist or have be sitting in the goddamn goofy swing, scaring grown adults at all at five, two and a hundred pounds. And I think at that point, you know, it's not offensive. She's selling merchandise. It's more offensive. She would just put in that role on television with pockets. You got a guy who the boss thought his one joke was funny three years ago. And now he's still laughing at it. And he dressed up as him on Halloween. But in it, besides selling merchandise, what the fuck contribution has this guy made to it? It's a, it's an embarrassment. It's a joke. It makes him look minor league. If you want to use the term outlaw, you want to use the term indie, minor league, amateurish, no great matches have resulted, no great interviews have resulted. You know, and now we're, I think we're finding out sometimes his quarter hour was placement while they still had an audience before they'd run him off when he used to come out at the start of the show, because now you stick him in the middle and it's a, the fucking war of attrition. On that topic, I don't know if you saw the quarter hour breakdowns for last week's Dynamite, but again, it was on a different night. It was on Tuesday. It was after the MLB playoffs, although there was a gap between the end of the game and the start of Dynamite. There was a post-show MLB special. And then the show began with Death Triangle versus the best friends at Orange Cassidy. Yes. 1,062,000 viewers. Quarter two, the last two minutes of that match, 824,000 viewers. They hemorrhaged viewers because whoever stayed around said, let me see what's on AEW. They saw Orange Cassidy and dove off. Because normal people don't want to look at this shit. The small bubble of wrestlers that are or fans that are fans of the joke wrestlers and the the kids and the playground group they're the only ones that stick around for that shit grown normal adult people that used to like wrestling and might still if you gave them something to watch run from these people because it looks so fucking hokey especially compared to the physical specimens you see on the other network so anyway, so that's my answer to your question. Bray Wyatt, top guy, can work, can talk, depends on how he's used, sells merchandise. I don't think that's a problem. Ultimate Warrior is a bigger problem. They picked a goddamn obnoxious, assholish bodybuilder that didn't want to learn or want to get better and didn't understand that he was given that spot through no fucking talent of his own. But he still was the top guy and he sold merch. Expected. Nothing wrong with that. Fucking Alexa Bliss. 
She's in the middle group of the girls. It's a supernatural gimmick, but she's not the face of the company, so maybe that's a bonus she sold merchandise. When you're keeping the fucking clown like orange fucking pockets, just because he sells merchandise when he's the antithesis of what you should be wanting to put on a wrestling program in 2022, it's so fucking old indie fucking has been fucking over that shit viral bullshit from three years ago and you're featuring him just so that he will try to sell more t-shirts when he drags the show down in every way shape or form that's when your product is being hurt by a guy that is just there to sell merchandise you know jim another question i wanted to ask you before we get to some listener questions we've seen a lot of returns recently in wwe Gallows and Anderson just returned, Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman, various other people who disappeared in the last year, year and a half, pandemic slash Triple H losing power and Vince going mad. When they bring these guys back, a Gallows and Anderson, who very publicly were released after signing $750,000 contracts, how many of these guys, and again, everyone's different, they're not Bray Wyatt, but are they being brought back at the same or similar salary, or do you think WWE says, well, in the last couple of years, you haven't shown yourself to be worth anywhere close to that, and you're not really getting any other work anywhere else. We're going to bring you back at a lot less. What do you think happens? I I don't know, and it's obviously we don't know what amounts people are signing for. And it's a touchy case, and it probably has to go case by case. and Because some people, even if they haven't gotten work at comparable rates as they were making there before, they might not want to settle for less. They might just say, fuck it, I won't do this. Maybe they've still got some fuck you money. I don't, you know, we're just talking about people at random here. Bray Wyatt didn't go anywhere, and I get the idea that he probably didn't really want to, or he would have done something. He was probably biding his time, and and obviously, because of all that merchandise he sold, he's been off for a year or a year and a half, whatever the fuck it was, nobody's doing any benefits for him. He He's probably doing just fine unless he's got some type of personal issues we're not aware of. And, you know, with Gallows and Anderson, I think there would be a... With me, there'd be a fucking issue with that, yes, we signed for the offer that you made us, and then three months later you said, no, we changed our mind. I would have goddamn said, you'll pay me exactly what you were paying me before, or fuck you, I'll goddamn drive a cab. But that's me. I don't know what the Japanese situation is. They've been working for New Japan, but now apparently Anderson's double booked on the day of the Japanese big show. He's going to be here doing something else with the WWE, So, and New Japan's not happy about that. I think that's the day of the Saudi Arabia show. Well there, well, there you go, then. He can't be in Saudi Arabia and Tokyo at the same time. So, why are, people, the, why are people still getting belts if they're not in their contract? AEW just did this, too. Moxley was the world champion well, while he had no contract. Again, that's another... I've, I've related the story. I did that once, and I'd never do it again, because guys will lie to your face. Kenny King, fucking piece of shit. But nevertheless... You know, so they had to have given them enough money that they're now pissing Japan off like they're not going to have to go back there again real soon. So, you know, I don't know. But the 
The point is, it, it with the WWE, they can give any salary. It's not going to affect their goddamn profitability. They pay the boys, what, a, a single percentage of their overall gross revenue for the year. Uh, some number in the single percentages. So, you know, I, I think they would want to not only bring some people back, but also have those people sending out the word, hey, we got treated fairly this time. Hey, you know, they did, you know, come come up with some money and, and, and serious negotiations, and it's not, you know, you're hit and miss bullshit like it was with Vince, and he can wake up on the other side of the bed and change his mind about everything. That's the kind of message I think they're wanting to get out, and if they've got to give a few guys an extra couple hundred thousand dollars a year, what the fuck? They spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on catering. It's with that, with that company right now, that's not an issue. Meanwhile, as we've just proven, you can, the other company, there's a over 125 men alone drawing a regular paycheck. We haven't even gone through the women yet. And half of them are completely unnecessary to the bottom line. And those those were contracts that were given out by Tony from scratch. There wasn't a precedent set. There wasn't like, oh, Angelico's used to making 150 grand a year. I got to top that. These people had never had fucking contracts before. He just signed them. When they would have been happy with a fucking song and a dance, he gave them the whole Broadway musical. So that's the thing is it's not going to affect the WWE if they give a few hundred thousand dollars a year here and there to any one of a couple of dozen different talents to make sure that they're happy, they get what they want, and they get the word out. Whereas Tony is hemorrhaging a paycheck for close to 200 fucking people of some description every week. Half of them you never see, and half of them should have been fucking signed to begin with because they're useless. So I'm fully thinking that the WWE is making strategic acquisitions of people that not only they want back, but that they think will be in contact with other people to tell them the worm has turned. All right, Jim, our next question sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from Grant Cameron. What are your thoughts on Mario Mancini saying Hulk Hogan used his influence to have George Scott removed as Booker because he wanted to push Randy Savage as champion. I have a quote here. This is from the Mario Mancini show. I swear to God. I would have had a different career if George Scott stayed the Booker. And See, not that's Pat a Patterson. good lead line. That's a good lead line. George Scott got fired because he wanted to put the strap on Randy Savage right away. Hogan, he went, he pitched, and he bitched to Vince. And Vince fired George and brought in Pat. Have you ever heard that before, that George Scott was fired for wanting to put the belt on Randy Savage? No, no, because that's not the case. And I love it when he says, I would have had a lot different career if George, because George liked me. And that's, you know, here's the thing. George Scott was fired by Vince McMahon. And the one time I'll say something good about George Scott, who I never liked and would never again say anything good about Alzheimer's ridden piece of shit, but he was fired by Vince McMahon for being too much of a wrestling guy. 
the whole national expansion, the whole cartoon wrestling thing, the whole entertainment, the Tuesday Night Titans. George Scott had been a wrestler since the early 1950s. And he and Sandy had been a top tag team. Then he transitioned into booking. He was supposedly, according to some people you speak to, the architect of the transition from Crockett Promotions in the Carolinas going to a mid-level tag team territory that had done steady business for decades to the premier Lincoln Continental Cadillac of the NWA territories running all the big buildings in the Carolinas with Flair and Steamboat and Snuka and Youngblood and blah, 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 blah. He was the booker during all that time, but he also was smart enough to bring in Johnny Valentine and bring in Blackjack Mulligan and bring in Wahoo McDaniel that then suggested their own angles and the, their their own programs that they had done in previous territories to get over. And Wahoo said, oh, you ought to bring that Ric Flair in. So if George Scott was any good in his day, some say he was and some say he was lucky. By the time that I met him in 1989, it was gone. However, I worked in the office. I've talked to a variety of principals on both sides of the Scott situation. And basically, Vince couldn't get along with him because, and I can identify with this, George Scott was too wrestling. He didn't want the fucking phony hokey shit. He didn't want the fucking... Uh, entertainment. He wanted, you know, wrestling. And he was not somebody that Vince could sit down and share that vision with. And there were a couple things that I think that they argued about after the first WrestleMania. I don't think George Scott was a fan of the big payoffs that the guys got. Um, but it, it just came down to Pat was more willing to open. He was a wrestling guy, but he was also an easier going, more fun loving kind of guy. It was more personable than George Scott had, had worked for Vince as a wrestler, you know, for what, four or five years at that point, main event at the garden, been a title contender. They were just, they were closer and Pat was much more suited to the vision of wrestling that Vince wanted to do rather than George Scott, who honestly, and then, you know what, four years later in 1989, he was goddamn completely deranged. It was like he hadn't watched a wrestling program in 15 years. So that was, it wasn't about just, and obviously no, it, because think about this Savage. When did Savage come in? The end of 85 or mid 85. Scott, that was after George Scott was already on the way out when Randy first got there, wasn't he? Well, he was there a little while longer because remember, eventually in. But I mean, you're on the you're on the way. You're on a downhill trajectory in some of these points. In 84, the big feuds they had were Slaughter and the Sheik, Piper and Snuka, despite Snuka's substance abuse issues meeting. He had to go away and then it became Piper versus Tonga Kid. Right. And Hogan had no opponent. Hogan was the touring attraction as world champion. He was that hot. One town he would wrestle Iron Sheik. Next town he'd wrestle Big John Stud. 85, you finally get your first Hogan feud. Him and Piper. There's no ending to that. Piper got along with George Scott, by the way, I believe. 
Oh, God, yeah. Hogan. Because they had worked so long in the Carolinas. But Hogan, knowing what he wanted to be and looking out for himself better than maybe any wrestler ever has, and knowing what Vince wanted, I believe Hogan did sour on George Scott. And that's one oh, of the I'm, reasons. I'm, sh- I'm sure he was. You know, remember though, Vince, there's a period of time, it's a weird period of time in 87 where Vince all of a sudden let some of his guys work for world class. And George Scott started booking there. And Tony Atlas was Black Superman. And yeah. they had Ricky Steamboat for a show and the Iron Sheik. So there was still some kind of open door with George Scott and Vince. But he was I think I think that was a flare up of Vince wanting to take over Dallas again. And thinking, well, maybe George is booking, and if I send a few guys down, some of his old guys from the Carolinas and do him a favor, maybe I can get my finger in there some kind of way. Cause at the time, I mean, the the business in Dallas was the weakest it had ever been. So considering your personal experience with George Scott and also the fact that as a wrestling fan and as a wrestling historian, even then you knew the success he had at mid Atlantic after your problems, 89, 90, 91, did you talk to anyone like flair and just say like, what the fuck was the deal with this guy back then? Was he ever any good? Was yes. it a myth? What have you determined about George Scott's biggest booking successes? Well, that everybody that knew him in the seventies, Oh, it was great. Oh, we were doing nothing but business. Oh, George Scott. <laughs> what about, now, we just signed the Iron Sheik in 1989. Uh, and they just rolled their eyes. They couldn't, you know, uh, nobody uh, nobody that had known him in both places could reconcile the two. And it just I had just known him on the last one and got, and plus that he was not, he wasn't a friendly person. He wasn't gregarious. He wasn't, he didn't have personality. He was a taciturn old stick in the mud. And just, it was like somebody had woken him up to come to, to book this thing from a long coma, not a nap. How different personality-wise is he from Sandy Scott? Jesus Christ. Well, that, that's the thing. And, and as many miles as I rode in a car with Sandy, as many times as I worked with him over a period of over 10 years, all I know was they hadn't spoken in 20 years. I still don't know what it was. It was something personal between the two of them. Sandy felt highly offended by it. And it was known within the business that they didn't speak at all. As a matter of fact, I missed this, but I was told about it. The time that George Scott came to his first Meeting as Booker in WCW when Sandy Scott was still there from the Crockett days, they had kept him on as a live event promoter. They were both at CNN Center and going to have a meeting or be in a meeting at the WCW office. And the first time they'd seen each other in person, and I think at that point somebody said, you know, almost 15 years, like since the the Carolina days or whatever. Well, maybe almost oh, no. 10 years. But Sandy Scott didn't work for the office when George Scott was there? No, no. That, well, that's what I was going to say. George Scott left at, what, 82? And this was 89. So seven years. But the first time they'd seen each other in person in seven years, they got on the elevator and just turned and stared at the front doors and never said hello and spoke to each other. That's how fucking much that heat was. And that's a... Sandy had, they were Canadian, so Sandy had a dry humor to him, but he had humor to him, and he was a nice guy, and he was honest, and he was truthful, and he was fairly, if you knew his particular quirks, he used to 
he used to fuck with people just, you know, like New Jack always wanted paid in cash. And he'd have a check written that he could cash that Monday, but he'd always have to be paid in cash. So that meant waiting till after the box office was checked up, right? So you had cash. Well, he would always pester Sandy, and he knew Sandy hadn't checked up yet. Cause Sandy, so Sandy started, every time he'd ask that, he'd give him an empty envelope. And New Jack would open it. It'd be envelope with New Jack on name on it, but nothing in it. And he'd get so mad. And I said, well, then wait until he's counted the fucking money before you pester him. Anyway, so the point is that Sandy and George did not speak or get along at all. They had no relationship whatsoever. And knowing the two of them, I'm willing to take Sandy's side in that one. But yeah, they got on the elevator, had not seen each other in person since George Scott left Crockett Promotions and didn't even speak, say hello. What did Sandy Scott ever say to you about the way George treated you in the Express? Well, it, I, here's the thing. Because it's such I, an I, odd way. It's all so odd how that all went down. Well, I think it was probably George Scott coming in, figuring I'll just do what Jim Hurd wants me to do or say what he wants me to say because this is the first job I've had that paid me any amount of money in the wrestling business since Vince fired me five years ago and goddamn, you know, whatever. I don't know. He had not seen anybody except for Flair and Steamboat. He knew those and the Iron Sheik. I don't think he knew anybody else and maybe Ole, if Ole was still, no, Ole was gone by then. And, you know, I wasn't going to sit down with Sandy and, and, and talk about the brother that I knew he hadn't spoken to in years and years and say, well, why was he such a dick when Sandy already knew he was a dick? But nobody has, has really ever been able to explain it, but he just... That's why I thought he was losing his, George Scott was losing, he was Alzheimer's or something, because if he was any kind of booker at any point, he wouldn't have done what he did in WCW in 89. Did Vince ever say anything to you about him? Um, I remember that's where I got the, just he and Vince didn't fit with their viewpoint of wrestling, because George Scott was even more of an old-fashioned traditionalist than I might be called. And so, I mean, there was occasional eye rolling and a reference to, you know, George Scott, but he definitely wasn't into the sports entertainment, George wasn't. And I can't argue with him there, but, you know, you take the job with Vince, you got to do what you got to do. Well, Jim, let's stay on the topic of bookers. This next question was sent to Corny Drive through at gmail.com from Jimmy Andrews, Vancouver Island, Canada. I've just reread Gary Hart's book. And it's fascinating him talking about his booking philosophies, gates he drew, and how he booked his crew. How do you rate Gary Hart as a booker? He seemingly drew great gates wherever he booked, here Jesus read Gary's book, and produced great <laughs> TV for world class. Do you think his brand of booking logic would be successful in this day and age? It seems like the one thing we are missing these days is good logical booking. Well, I think it could be successful. It's not like Gary's Gary had his own brand of, and I'm not knocking Gary here. I'm just, he booked, he was a smart booker, but he booked wrestling like wrestling was traditionally booked and he had good ideas within that framework. Um, he liked working with younger guys that, that hadn't been 
you know, exposed or on top as of yet. So especially if he was managing them, he could get them over his top heels. You know, the Don Jardine principle, he was together with them for so long. Or, you know, wild, crazy maniacs like Mark Lewin and, you know, King Curtis, guys like that. He was very close with Jim Barnett and Fritz von Erich. And most of Gary's booking and or where he learned and got experience of how to book took place either in Atlanta or Australia for Barnett and Texas for for Fritz. And at the same time, in Florida, some, I don't know if he ever had the book in Florida, but he was used obviously as the top heel manager in Florida, especially the year that they turned Dusty babyface. Dusty had been in Gary Hart's army. Do you think that's the best he was ever used? Probably. Well, I mean, you know, he could have been, he himself could have been used better in another place, but because they didn't have the Dusty Rhodes babyface turn and it wasn't Florida and it, it, Eddie Graham, blah, blah, blah. You know, that was the best run that Gary ever had as a performer. Was it his best or was it just best because he was involved in that? But Gary had good ideas and Gary had common sensible philosophies. And, you know, he's the one that put together the the start of the Freebirds Von Erichs feud when they brought Michael in as supposedly a baby face. And then there was the turn Christmas night. He got a Kabuki over, honestly, stronger than Kabuki really should have been and would have been on his own in the United States, even with the gimmick. He used that playbook with Muda. Muda you know, that that was the one thing Gary wanted Muda to stay a heel because Gary knew that Muda was over and Gary was his manager. And they wanted to switch Muda babyface for the kids. And that, Gary talked him out of it. And he ended up going back to Japan rather than switching babyface. But I liked Gary. I always enjoyed talking to him. It wasn't like we had a competition as managers because we were so completely different in style and demeanor and the whole nine yards. Do you look at his managing in 89 and his work at ringside differently today than you did then as a young Jim Cornette? Yeah, because then I, w- I would be kind of hard on him in the car with the midnight or whatever. Did you see Gary? He almost sweat tonight at ringside. He almost, you know, a, a bead of perspiration came up on his head. Or it was frustrating sometimes because Gary was big. He was like 6'2 and 200-something pounds, but he was not portrayed as a physical threat but go back and watch the flair and funk i quit match when rick's trying to chase him or manhandle him gary didn't want to put any of that you know he, <laughs> he was not gonna fucking physically put a lot of the baby faces over no matter what but then as i delved into it further part of that was in that plane crash he broke everything in his body there practically was to break i mean it knocked most of his teeth out he broke his back he had horrible you know, leg or foot injury. So he was not able to to move around, you know, very freely or normally to be able to, and that's why he never worked really. I mean, I'm trying to think the only matches that I saw him have when he was working for Crockett in 87, 88 were the manager's bunkhouse stampede battle royals. I, what a fucking rib. Me and Humperdinck were the only babyface managers. And then there was Paul Jones, Paul Heyman, and Gary Hart, and and J.J. Uh, Dillon. And since I was the only babyface manager that the people 
actually kind of liked. I had to win all those, but that meant I had to get shit kicked out of me by Paul Jones and Paul Heyman and Gary Hart and JJ, blah, blah, blah. Did you have to go over the top rope in the manager battle royal? Yes, but I didn't because I won the motherfuckers. Well, I didn't mean you. I meant Gary yeah. Hart. Yes. Oh, well, but that's the thing. The finish in the Omni in Atlanta was after JJ and Gary had beaten me up and left me laying in the corner. Then Gary tries to goddamn stab JJ in the back and he goes up behind Jay and he's almost got JJ dumped and he's kind of leaning over and I just ran up behind and pushed both of them and Gary took his own bump very easily. Um, and I was the winner by God. But so anyway, yeah, Gary was perfect for the sixties and seventies because he was believably evil and you could tell that there was something the matter with that guy, that he was shady and dangerous and came from the wrong side of the tracks. And it got tons of heat as a top manager. He was, you know, strictly to carry heat. But as TV got a little, had a little more oomph to it in the 80s, if you didn't know Gary and Gary's reputation and you Gary wasn't already over in your mind, all of us fast-talking young fucks came along and he was a little more less exciting to watch in the the 80s uh, the late 80s as he had been before because it was just stepping up a notch with the energy level when i was a kid i thought he was black well that's right you know and you know because he come from a a bad part of town there you know halstead street in chicago and a lot of the times he he hung out with the african-american folks on the corner and actually in the 60s he got into the business in Chicago, hanging around the International Amphitheater in the early 60s, even a, a couple of years before Bobby Heenan. And he knew some of the guys that that did jobs for the Chicagoland promotions and the smaller shows that actually did collect money and break various bones for the folks in Chicago. And he grew up in that atmosphere. So he could bring that to the screen, and it was kind of true to life. You have to wonder how different wrestling would have been back then if things were the way they are today. Perhaps a wrestler goes to work for a Gary Hart or a George Scott. They don't like the way they're booked. They think it's hurting their future prospects. Perhaps they look to sue. You know, as a matter of fact, maybe the missing link, instead of leaving the territory, could have just turned around and sued Gary Hart after Gary sliced him open with his razor blade because the link punched Gary Hart in the face because Gary Hart had had a talking to with the missing link about asking Carrie Von Erich's wife if her carpet matched her drapes. And if so, <laughs> then he could have called this man. Call Stephen P. And folks, he will indeed, he will sue your ass and he will nail you to the wall if you have committed mayhem or any other forms of illegal activities against one of his clients because Stephen P. New is a man of the people and he will go to court, he will go to war, he will march up San Juan Hill to protect the people that have trusted him with their justice in the legal system. And whether they are 
incarcerated in West Virginia or addicted to opioids across the country or have been wrongfully terminated or have been harmed or damaged or injured or possibly even killed. You know, he's got a lot of dead people retaining his services. If any of those things have happened to you, well, sometimes the family has to step in and do it for him. But if any of those things have happened to you, then you've got to call the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen P. New at 888-692-8084. Operators are standing by now. Or you can go to newlawoffice.com. And we've talked about he had a state of emergency declared in West Virginia over their draconian prison system over there and the the fact that the whole thing's falling into disrepair and people are being mistreated and poisoned by maggot-infested food or chemical-infested water in some of the communities over there or, as I mentioned, opioid-infested babies that are born addicted to drugs because of the evil, greedy pharmaceutical companies. All these things can be rectified or just your pissy little problem. Somebody emailed the other day and said, hey, I got fired because I have asthma. Well, fuck you. Stephen P. News coming to the rescue. You can't do that to a guy with asthma. For heaven's sake, just because his line of work was being a scuba diver, there's no sense in firing him because of that. But anyway, Stephen P. New is the man for you. 888-692-8084, newlawoffice.com. And boy, howdy, he's quicker than a hiccup when it comes to getting copyright infringements rectified. Because just in case anybody hadn't uh, been reminded lately, Jim Cornette's name likeness and the Midnight Express, Condry, Eaton, and Lane are all trademarked and covered up, and we can't be touched, except if we want the toucher to do the touching. So touch your phone now, 888-692-8084, Stephen P. New. That's right. And Jim, let's get a few more questions before we wrap things up this week. This next one was sent to CornyDriveThru at gmail.com from Adam in London, England. I watched a YouTube video recently and had no idea that Bray Wyatt was a part of the Wyndham family tree. (laughs) I was just wondering how many of the Wyndham and Rotunda clan Jim got to work with, and if looking back you remember seeing a young Bray Wyatt with his father. Um, well, no. Of course, he probably, when he was 12 or whatever, he didn't have the beard. I never got to, I briefly worked with Blackjack Mulligan. When I first started watching wrestling, the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, managed by Bobby Heenan, were having their run in Indianapolis for Bruiser and got to see Bruiser and Crusher against that. And Blackjack Mulligan was the Biggest motherfucker you've ever seen in your life. He was six foot nine and 330 pounds, and he covered the ground he walked on. And the promos were great, right? And then he went to, well, eventually went to the Carolinas and became a top single star. And Lanza shifted into the office job as an agent producer he had with the WWF. And Mulligan in the Carolinas was, they drew a ton of money. As a matter of fact, when Finally, uh, they pulled the trigger on the Flair and Mulligan feud. Rick still talked about that, you know, fondly years after. He loved Jack Mulligan as a person, and as an opponent, they drew tons of money. When we, being the Midnight and the Rock and Roll Express, sold out the Charlotte Coliseum, 
uh, for our first match there in 86, they actually told us it was the first legitimate sellout of the Charlotte Coliseum for wrestling since 1978 and Flair and Mulligan. And imagine how much territory it takes in, but he was hot. So, But I never got to be around Mulligan or even work in the same place with him except for what was it, three weeks? God, we were just talking about it earlier when George Scott was Booker in WCW. One of the first things that he did, and I swear to God, this is not a rib, he hired Blackjack Mulligan to be one of the agents. Obviously, there was the Charlotte connection from years before. But he hired him and put him in that job because he had been told that a bunch of these high-priced wrestlers on contracts working for TBS now didn't want to do what they were told. So Blackjack Mulligan was the enforcer to make all of the wrestlers do the finishes that George Scott wanted them to do, which would have worked in the 60s and 70s. But now it was a billion-dollar television conglomerate owning the company. If he'd have beat anybody up, which he could, they would have sued. And I think he realized that and was there like three weeks and did a couple of TV tapings, and then we never saw him again. So that's the only time I was around Jack Mulligan. Barry Windham, obviously his son, we had multiple programs with. Windham and Garvin for the U.S. Tag Team title, and yeah, Barry Windham with anybody or by himself, there was a period of time, what, 86, 87, he was the best babyface wrestler in the ring in the business and just amazing for his the size to be that fluid barry windham was elite tier in anybody's book in his day when he had gotten old enough that he had the experience and he got the size but not too much size and too many injuries he was the best in the business and we worked with him forever mike rotunda was a great amateur wrestler, obviously part of the varsity club, but playing on that, went to Syracuse. Mike was a great guy. Loved having him in the heel locker room. He was never the main event guy, but he was a good worker, didn't have a fireball promo, but, uh, you know, was certainly a good talent. I'm trying to, who else is in now then? Bray Wyatt's real name is Wyndham Rotunda because he is the son of Mike Rotunda and Barry's sister, correct? Jack's daughter. Barry and Kendall's sister, yes. Barry and Kendall. Well, I forgot about Kendall. <laughs> Don't shoot me. Um, Kendall was a nice guy, painfully thin. He was given a job in Crockett specifically because by Dusty and because he was a Wyndham and what a worker he was. He just was so, so th he was thinner than Sam Houston. I used to do the fucking heel promos where as I look at Kendall Wyndham, he looks like a Q-tip because he had the curly blonde hair. And the last time I saw him several years ago at one of these fan fests, he's as big now as Barry Wyndham was then in the ring when he was wrestling like 250, 260. He finally got the weight, but he's too old to wrestle. Um, but Kendall, yes, was around for a while. And then, you know, I never met Bray Wyatt and didn't meet who's Bo is his brother. Bo Dallas was Bo Rotunda. I believe so, yeah. 
Never met him either. And obviously, what was the question? <laughs> the, the question was how many of the Wyndham family you had actually worked with. Uh, well, that I think we've uh, illustrated all. Have, did we miss anybody? There was a, for whatever reason, people used to think that we Nona Littleheart was Barry Wyndham's sister. Oh, because they did um they did an angle in Florida, right? Oh, well, that's what it was. So people, so people bought the angle. Okay, well that, but I, as far as I know, they weren't related. They may have had relations at some point, but they weren't related. Jim, we've received a series of questions. I don't know how closely you followed this, if at all, about AEW's relationship with Dave Meltzer or Dave Meltzer's recent critiques of AEW. Well, besides one. a romantic relationship, I don't really know all the details of it. <laughs> well, let me read this email sent to cornydriveThrough at gmail.com from Mark in South Wales. I assume you'll be getting this question from a few listeners, but I'm interested in your thoughts on Dave Meltzer's rant on Tony Khan on the Observer podcast on October 17th. While Dave has been more open to dishing out criticism of AEW in recent months, he was particularly vocal on this episode and blasted AEW and Tony Khan for poor communication with fans and journalists and avoiding questions. His criticism was not just about the CM Punk vs. Elite fight, but also with wider issues such as Aleister Black off TV and Sammy vs. Andrade, Dave was stinging in his criticism to the point of taking it personally. And I wondered if Jim felt this is because Dave is genuinely concerned about AEW and moving away from a fan-friendly approach, or is personally upset with Tony for keeping his favorite wrestlers off TV. Either way, it seems Dave's relationship with Tony is somewhat strained. But we can't comment on that, and I think there are a few other emails here, but any opening thoughts on this? Well, his pipeline of information is has been put on ice because he can't get, you know, a personal audience with the Cucamonga kids now where they can spill the beans about everything going on in the company the way they want it to be known. And he's probably also taking Tony to task because Tony is not finally doing things the way that he, he thinks they should be done. And so you've, He's feeling on the outs now because Tony's not being as forthcoming. Tony's probably scared to say boo to a goose these days about anything going on in the company because it all gets out and it all looks bad. So he's clamming up and Dave can't get the scoops from, you know, the, the California connection. And he's probably getting a little, you know, he's feeling jilted. He's like, wait a minute. I was part of this thing of ours. I'm the one that's basically brainwashed everybody into thinking that you're the booker of the year and that this shit's really a good product. And now you're icing me out. What's up with that? Is what Dave's saying. So, you know, I can see that from, from all sides, from both ways of looking at it. I think Dave gets upset when Tony doesn't do exactly what Dave thinks Tony should do. Because Dave believes yeah. that he has the ultimate wrestling mind and he knows more because he talked to Lou Fez at some point. And if he tells you that you should do it, it's based on his expert knowledge. And if you don't do it, he can't deal with that. And again, the Cucamonga Kins at Omega, who Dave anointed and pushed much higher than they ever should have been, they're not there right now. Tony's not doing what he wants on TV. Dave's buddy Jericho may be able to feed him a bunch of stuff, but it ain't the same as it used to be. 
And oh no, he was because let's face it, Dave was getting fed to the point where you'd think he'd explode like Mr. Creosote needing a bucket. Yeah, and the CM Punk thing all blows up in Dave's face because it never would have gotten to the point it did if Dave hadn't put that Cole Cabana thing in the Observer. Yeah, and he's never explained why that got in there. You know, there was another thing this past week. I don't know if you saw this. We brought up Captain Sean Dean earlier. He tweeted something out. This was an article or a portion of an article. In the latest Wrestling Observer newsletter, Dave Meltzer stated that it was brought to his attention that many of the extras used by AEW, who were close to Thunder Rosa, had not been booked recently. Kylan King, Maddie Ranowski, and Jasmine Allure were among those names. There is no information as to why it was decided not to use them. Captain Sean Dean replied, It's the kind of careless reporting like this causing unnecessary issues and problems for no reason. You have no info, yet you still report this dumb BS. All those talented women are in good standing, so whoever brought that to your attention is a liar and a fraud. And I believe Dave replied that they uh, are still going to be used. He didn't say, like, I was wrong or I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, oh. Not even a, never mind. Hey, listen, Dave was trying to push John Muse on Tony to be his consultant. I mean, that's, <laughs> I can't do it because it'll get in the way with the Observer, but here, take my handpicked guy, or if you don't, I'm going to be really upset about it. Dave can't take when Tony doesn't do what Dave thinks Tony should do. And Tony's now realizing for the first time what happens in print and in audio when you don't do what Dave wants you to do. He wrote a real good obituary on me about three years ago. I got it framed on my wall, and I wish he'd done it before because, goddamn, I've never made so much money in my life till after I've committed a career suicide. Isn't that the amazing thing? He writes an obituary for you, and since that time, the biggest wrestling podcast in history, as well now, as quit the bragging. now. Quit bragging. Seriously. There's no reason to tell the truth and make us look all fucking egotistical. If you are a promoter, Let me try to look at this from Tony Khan's perspective. If you are a promoter and you're dealing with all sorts of backstage issues, whether they're your fault or your management's fault or not, you're dealing with all these issues. You're dealing with injuries. You're dealing with investigations and suspensions. A, should you pay attention to a Dave Meltzer or a wrestling journalist or reporter complaining about these kind of things? And I guess that's the thing. Should you pay attention to this? Should it change the way you conduct yourself or should you just do what you're going to do anyway again there's no simple answer and it's not all of column a or all of column b yes you have to keep track of what everybody's saying especially if it's somebody that has a site or a newsletter or whatever that has a bunch of readers well what are that group of people saying what is that group of people saying but ultimately you can't because that's what tony's done tony has tailored his business specifically to newsletter reading people who live their lives on the wrestling sites and know, or he thinks they know, and Twitter, and he thinks they know everything because we know everything about everybody, which is why nothing gets explained and people pop in and out of the picture at random based on, you know, whether Tony's moving them around his chessboard or not. Because he thinks everybody knows everywhere everybody is and everything that everybody's up to. And so nothing gets explained and nothing has continuity because you can't have continuity when you have deficits in your attention. 
And so he's he's not taking the segment of the population that fits that description, the really diehard, hardcore, you know, live their life on this thing fan. He He's not taking them as one of the viewpoints. He's taking them as the viewpoint. That's why we end up with pockets. There are no, I found this out on a smaller scale with Ring of Honor. There are no more detrimental fans to have on your promotion than this modern group of people who watch wrestling as strictly a fucking bullshit, silly fucking show with flipping because they're the ones that will specifically go on the crusade and all of them have 17 accounts and they're the ones that will go on the crusade against you if you don't have small, plain, pale white guys doing fucking gymnastics you'll get crucified. And that's the only group he's listening to. Not everybody. Well, unfortunately, because of the design of his program and the way he's booked it and the people he's signed to be on it, that's almost the entire audience he has. So maybe they're important to him, but that just means that he's given up on trying to get anybody else. And the difference in the 900,000 or a million that he's got and the couple million plus couple hundred thousand that the WWE has is has left is that they don't appeal just to the trampoline cowboy crowd, but they've lost what 70 or 80% of their audience in the last 15 years too. Cause nobody wants to see this shit anymore. It's all fake, phony and silly. I know I say that a lot, but Nobody's changing my mind or showing me anything else. Jim, our next question sent to Corny Drive through at gmail.com. You're talking about the final one? Is that what you're saying? This can be the final one. We'll see if it's worth it. All this right. This was sent to Corny Drive through at gmail.com. Uh, no name attached. I'm a big fan of the show from Southampton, UK, and I have a question for you guys. With all the traveling wrestlers do, and with all the physicality they take in the ring, as well as all the backstage politics that there are in the wrestling business, why don't you see talent looking tired or shabby on screen? <laughs> I understand there's makeup artists who help them look clean and tidy. What? But is it really enough for TV? Has Jim ever looked tired on TV? Well, I mean, I, I assume I have. I can't call chapter and verse. Uh, hey, you know, May 7th, 1986, I did that worldwide show and I looked like shit. Um, for one thing, I know they have makeup artists now. It's been a, a thing that was started in the, I guess, early nineties and maybe late eighties because her did that too. <laughs> Jim heard for the big shows, the pay-per-views, the clash of champions, he would fly a, a hairdresser in from St. Louis to cut the boy's hair. And the only people that would actually do it on a pay-per-view day to get a haircut, right? The only guys that would do anything to get something for free would get their haircut. They'd look forward to it. Otherwise, and makeup for the announcers. Jesus Christ, not only in WCW, but then in the WWF. When I was doing announcing, I had to figure out, and it took me several months, figure out a way to slip around the makeup people, because I hate makeup. I don't want it on my face. I don't feel it. It's clogging my skin. I don't feel natural. 
I don't care whether I have a deathly pallor I want to, and I'm sweaty. I want to look like I look on TV for good or bad. So I would duck makeup, but I still don't think that they're making up the boys to just go out and do fucking promos, are they? I wouldn't think that would be the case. Well, Heyman. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, there's there's an exception to every rule. Anything that you can put on Paul's face to come in between his skin and a high-definition camera would be a positive. Uh, but no, the guys are tired. It's the, the red light comes on. You're on fucking television. Suck it up, buttercup. I've been out there, and so is a lot of the guys, with stomach flus or laryngitis or goddamn raging fucking flu of some description or injuries or coming back from surgery or you're doing a promo that you probably wish you wouldn't have to do in some cases if you got to talk about some bullshit, whatever the fuck, suck it up and do it. You're not tired. You're a TV star. You can be tired when you're a regular fucking person. Haven't slept for a few days. Red light comes on. Get the fuck over it. That's all I can say is there's no. You, you go on. If you're going to be on fucking TV, that's going to live forever on video. If you're if you ain't got a voice, do the best you can. If you can't walk, hobble. Can't hobble, crawl on your belly like a reptile. Get to the camera, cut to promo, do your thing. I don't know what else to say. How many promos in your career do you think you did when you had a fever or when you were sick or hoarse? And also, what wrestler did you see sleeping in the back the most? Oh, well, you can't single out any person to answer the last question first, especially at Atlanta TV. Guys would go and find an office or a cubicle somewhere that, you know, because it was a skeleton crew of television station people at TBS on Saturday morning and they'd sleep in somebody's desk chair or on top of their bag in the locker room. When uh, TVs were, Atlanta TV was early morning, so everybody was probably sleeping. I was, I was cranked up because I was always cranked up because it's TV. What was the first part of that? Oh, when I was sick, what you go back and the people who tweet out like, wrestling from the 80s and 90s or on this day in or the clips off the network of the old Atlanta TV shows or anything that Crockett did. And sometimes you'll hear me talking a little slower or a little hoarser or not projecting. Like sometimes you're on the road, you've got a cold, you haven't slept but three hours the night before. You've come from Massachusetts to fucking Georgia, temperature change. That's what led to me damaging you know, my vocal cords in modern times to where when I do announcing over a loud crowd and I'm yelling for a while, they'll flame up and they'll swell up and I can't talk. And I haven't had that happen for the past few years because I've quit going on these road trips, lacking sleep and screaming, doing announcing. But it hampered me for years because you power through it. I wasn't going to go out there and do a 30 second promo. So I said, fuck my fucking laryngitis. I'll fucking talk one way or the other. A lot of other guys, if Cactus Jack did his serious damage to his vocal cords doing that squeal, the shriek that he used to do when he was Cactus Jack. Um, you know, and say, I mean, I've done promos where I shit myself because I had diarrhea, straining. Oh, really? You know, well, well, yeah. I didn't know that. How the how the fuck? I've, you know, try. That's better than. 
the first Smoky Mountain Wrestling Spot Show in Morristown, Tennessee. We did a TV taping and then came back two months later with a spot show and had the principal of the high school teaming up with Tim Horner against me and Stan Lane. And somehow that morning, early that morning on a Saturday, I came down with a stomach flu and I laid in bed in a hotel shitting and puking and got to the, told Sandy to run the show for me and Hildebrand got to the building late laid in the locker room until we had to go out. And every time I fell down, if I dropped an elbow or if he knocked me down or whatever, every time I hit the mat, I shit myself. And by the time it was, and then the finish was the principal body slamming me, which we taught him how to do that. And I said, just cover me. He covered me for a shoot. He put his fucking, his elbow bone in my goddamn throat and leaned down to cover me for a shoot. And I shit myself again. But that you know that's what happens. What are you going to do? Not be in the fucking main event, or shit yourself? I just threw the trunks away. All right. Well, I guess uh, before we shit ourselves too much longer, there you go. We'll throw away the trunks, uh, Jim. One last thing, because it's a follow up, and I can't believe this has just been sent to me by a couple of the listeners. <laughs> the timing is impeccable. Okay. Someone tweeted out to Dave Meltzer. Why did they decide to do Penta versus Moxley? Is it because it's Halloween? Because they just announced it for this Wednesday on Dynamite. Dave responded, No storyline build. Feels like they wanted another good match for TV. A good match. Penta versus Moxley. And perhaps they got an idea coming out of it. So someone responded to that and said, TK reads The Observer every week, Dave. You gotta push hard for AEW to have a creative team or bring in a guy like Jeff Jarrett to be his right-hand man. There you go. Now, me personally, I wouldn't pick Jeff Jarrett, but I think the concept there is correct. Dave responded to that, Why not John Muse? Oh, Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> Mike Tanay must have told him to stop doing that. He now has someone else he doesn't Well, yeah, do. and again, now we've gone over a lot of people's heads, and it's not your fault, folks, if you're saying who... John Muse is an old-time wrestling fan from the Detroit area that has read Dave's newsletter for 30 years and has never actually worked in wrestling, but <laughs> Dave believes he'd be a wonderful booker for a national television company because he's read The Observer for 30 years. And I'm not even saying anything bad about John Muse. I've talked to him 30 years ago. But, but again. He's not talking about somebody who's actually flown this airplane. He's talking about somebody that rode on it once. It's hysterical. Dave's going to insist on his person being the person that Tony listens to. And who do you think will be next? Will it be, I think I've asked you before, zombie Harry White? Do you think maybe Pete Letterberg? Oh, by the way, get well, Pete. Do you think Pete could be in the running? Is Pete sick? Pete's been ill, yes. Well, get well, Pete. We, I told him one time, I said, I said, have you got a headache, Pete? He said, no, why? I said, anything looks like that has to hurt. What about Mr. Mike? Remember there used to be a guy, Mr. Mike? Mr. Mike's Mondo Wrestling. Yeah, he'd be a great yes. booker for AEW. Of course. It, it, you know, I was very perceptive or uh, I had a premonition or a prognostication or whatever the word I'm searching for, because remember, I've told you this before, but it's the God's honest truth. 
the first time I talked to Tony Khan on the phone after hello and hello, the first thing I said to him was, Tony, I'm the only person in wrestling that you're going to talk to that's going to tell you the truth because I'm the only one you're going to talk to that doesn't want a fucking job. And boy, howdy, that may have been the most prognosticative thing that I've ever said because it has turned out to be true with everybody. He's paying everybody and he's listening to everybody and everybody's out for their own purposes and their friends and relatives. To be fair to Dave, he sees Jericho and the Bucks and all of his friends getting their friends hired. Do you think maybe he's thinking that? Like, it's time for one of my friends to get a job. Well, I mean, you know, he's had a bunch of friends get a job already because, you know, you see by the the joke list and some of the people we've tossed that a lot of those people have been written about more in Dave's publication than they have in anything except possibly their parole officer's file. Um, but yeah, he probably figures, yeah, you know, we should go ahead and get some observer readers in here as a booking team. And then it'd really be going full force. And if, Brian, I like you and you know a lot about wrestling, but I don't know that I would nominate you to book a national television wrestling promotion. For one thing, you got a lot of shit to do to begin with, and I don't want to distract you because you're making real money. I don't want to give up my jobs for this. Exactly. Yeah. But secondly, no, I don't think anybody should do anything at that level that they've never done before at any level. It's it's just a blanket statement. Well, before we get out of here, Jim, let's get at least one song. Let's see what someone who may or may not have done anything at some level has sent in. <laughs> this song was sent to Courtney Drive through at gmail.com from Gabrielle the Italian in London, England. Whoa, a female? Uh, or it could be Gabriel. Ga ah, see, you, you milked me and then you took it away. Well, I thought it was Gabrielle. It's Gabriel. Let's go to Gabriel's song. Another sausage fest. Dog, the pin wrestler in an outlaw mall, but you don't know about outlaw machos, do you? <laughs> when it goes like this, you need a ring to tattoo fat slugs, pieces of shit, the furniture, the light bulbs, and the thumbtacks. <laughs>
These people have been here for four hours fighting on the floor. The stipulation is no disqualification. take on the Jeff Buckley song Hallelujah what are your thoughts on this actually uh Leonard Cohen I guess and then Jeff Buckley did a fantastic yeah, cover Len- Leonard Cohen and and his his brother Ed Cohen that's not his um, brother I thought they were related but nevertheless of uh, Brian it's a frightening thing but we we influence people on this program don't we we carry some cachet with our thoughts and our words and our deeds here it's a scary thought we're influencing the the new generation of musicians around the world. Well, there it is. Gabriel from Italy at first. Thank you, Gabriel. Or Gabriel, excuse me, the Italian, not from Italy, but from London, England. And at first I thought it was going to go kind of a Lior route, but really pick things up. Great job. But with that, the drive-thru is closed. Where's my phone here? Oh, I got this. I got this. Oh, good Lord. I'm having fun playing with this, but of course, we're back this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And next week, right back here on the drive-thru, go through the archive today, patreon.com slash Cornette. For $5 a month, you get access to the archive of the show from the very beginning in 2013, patreon.com slash Cornette. Don't forget to subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll come right up. I ain't too hard to find. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. Check it out today. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to The Wrestling News at thewrestlingnews.com or search for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Jim, what's going on at Coronet's Collectibles? Please don't say anything bad about Stacy again. Boy, I'll tell you what. Coming up at Coronet's Collectibles, as I've said, we're on the downhill slide of the big action figure log jam. And another 650 or so packages, we will, we will be all caught up next three or four weeks, which mid-November means we're going to have something new 
for the folks to chew on at jimcornette.com. That will be announced in the next week or two. At jimcornette.com. That's where. Don't forget the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week, right back here on the drive through for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting, I'd pick fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. the mighty cult of cornets, and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines, with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion, she's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pino, everybody. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.